Hi, this is Jalen for Dobbs, where tire buying is easy. At GoToDobbs.com, shop brands, sizes, pricing, and our amazing deals. With 40-plus locations, get same-day install. For tires, it's Dobbs. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Get ready for winter driving at Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers with super deals on tires, including up to $200 on new Goodyear tires, plus oil changes, brakes, batteries, and more. For value and savings, click on gotodobbs.com today. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast, powered by I Promise. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Hammered out to deep right. And a long one off the bat of Shaw. Three-run bomb. 7-0 Milwaukee. And Mike Schild has seen enough. Another hard-hit ball from the Brewers. It's not a sustainable model. Like I said, we got the off days have helped us. Um, bullpen's been great. But uh, we got to get deeper and further along with our, with our starters so we can actually use our bullpen how we'd like to use it instead of putting guys in positions just because they're most rested. That's, um, that's not a great recipe. Boys, it was a rough weekend for the Cardinals rotation. Really rough weekend for the Cardinals rotation. And it's been a rough season so far for the Cardinals rotation. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. The Cardinals have just one quality start on the year. They are last, last in all of baseball right now in terms of starting rotation ERA. They have the lowest strikeout rate from their rotation in baseball. The Cardinal starters have gone five or fewer innings seven times so far this season. The bullpen has worked more innings so far this year than the starters have. That is not what you want to see from your starting rotation. And Alex, it came to a head once again yesterday with maybe the worst start so far this year. Daniel Ponce de Leon struggles, can't even get through two innings. What do you make of the Cardinals rotation woes after a rough weekend 0-2 in the final two games against Milwaukee? Uh, Houston, we got a problem because this does two things for me. One, puts a lot of pressure on your offense, which we saw kind of over the weekend. That isn't a good thing. It's not a recipe for success when you put pressure on them to start scoring more runs. Uh, And two, your bullpen's going to be wiped by flag day. And I mean, that is not good when it comes to certain players on this team that you absolutely need. Like you need Ryan Helsley to be healthy. You need Andrew Miller to not be giving up bombs left and right. Tyler Webb, go through the list. So they're going to have to fix this problem fast because otherwise we're going to be looking at a scenario where Jamo Zalak is going to be desperate to make some type of move. You get KK back hopefully soon. That's going to benefit. He can go deep into games. Who knows with Miles Michaelis. But for me right now, especially after yesterday, and look, I love the guy and I hope he has success. But I think I'm done with the Ponce de Leon experiment because that game and it wasn't all on him. No, why did you point up? He's fine. He's alive still. He's going yeah. he's going to be playing. But 
Stop it. He's not dead, but... We'll miss you, Daniel Ponce de Leon. No, there's no eulogy for Daniel Ponce de Leon yet, but I I think his role is a bullpen guy. Might be one as a starter. Might be a eulogy coming for Daniel Ponce de Leon as a starter in the Cardinals rotation. Maybe I'll have to put one together for the next time we get a rotation update. But look, Johan Oviedo impressed. He deserves to be in that rotation. We'll see what John Gant has to offer tonight, but for me, it's not all on Ponce because he had two outs that could have saved at least three runs. But for me, I'm done with this Ponce de Leon experiment because you need somebody who can give you five, six innings. Yeah, the Ponce, the Ponce experiment might be over. The fastball. No, it's not 80, might. It's not might. <laughs> when, what was it? Just a couple weeks ago, we said, oh, yeah, 83, 93 fastballs is fine. God, I Alex. I'd like to point out, I did not say that. I said that this is a problem. Uh, yeah, and he couldn't establish a breaking ball. so much crap about you that. You did. Both of you did. <laughs> not only was I wrong. I was loud wrong. You called me an idiot. You told me to move. (laughs) Why am I going to move? I told you in every possible way how wrong you were that Daniel Ponce de Leon's fastball usage. Yeah, you guys compared it to, he does have Lance Lynn stuff. No, he doesn't. (laughs) Because that fastball got taken to the warning track twice. To be fair, the similarity is that they both use their fastball a lot. The difference is that Lance Lynn's good at it. (laughs) There's similarities between you and I, but I can change a flat tire. Yeah, the difference is the similarities that we both do radio. The the difference is that you're good at it and I'm not. So that's where we are. Tanner, what was your biggest takeaway, buddy? (laughs) Yeah, my biggest takeaway with Gann, of course, was no no breaking ball. He struggled to have a breaking ball. Then the fastball got hit around all over the place. So, yeah, I'm I'm done with the Ponce in the rotation train. I'm not going to panic yet over the rotation, and I was in panic in the spring training with the super swiping of Jake Odorizzi and any guy that was a starter on the free agent market. Yeah, how's Odorizzi doing? I don't know. I, that's a good question. No, it's a, it's a rhetorical question. Not good. Oh. Oh, really? Gotcha. Last time I thought. Uh, oh, so, he hasn't made his debut yet. So, oh. so not yeah, good. Yeah, okay, no that's not no words. We'll find out uh, when he plays against the Tigers well, tomorrow. Speaking of finding out, we're going to find out if we have two holes or one hole in the Cardinals oh. rotation tonight because... Oh. If Gant pitches well, I think you're fine, and KK's going to return probably next time through the rotation. You slide him into Ponce's spot. If Gant struggles, then you've got two spots that we're still wondering about. I think KK comes into Ponce's spot. Okay, fine. But I I didn't think Carlos was extremely bad the other day. Wainwright's going to be fine. Flaherty will be fine. I was more concerned about uh, Carlos Martinez's second start than I was his first. Well, of course, because his first start, the dude looked like he was going to compete for a Cy Young this year. Until the wheels came off and he was terrible it's in the last It's that third inning time to the rotation. That's what always seems to kill Carlos Martinez. He had a rough start on Saturday. He got hit around pretty hard. I did not feel good about that one for him. Um, I know he ended up going five innings. That's great. One strikeout. That's not Carlos Martinez. That He's got to be better than that. He was not missing any bad and people were hitting him hard. It wasn't like the Adam Wainwright start where Waino, it was dribblers down the middle, right? It was just seeing eye singles all day long. It was the opposite for Carlos. Carlos was line drives all over the field and scoring runs after that. I, I think you've got serious questions right now about Carlos. You've got questions, obviously, about Ponce, and I just I don't think you can go back to Ponce right now. KK slides into that spot. Yeah. And then now we find out tonight, as you said, Tanner, about what you're going to get out of John Gant. There are question marks all over the place about this Cardinals rotation. And this is why I think, whew, let's all take a deep breath. I think the rotation is going to be okay in the long haul. It's early. It's really early. 
if KK is able to come in and stabilize things a bit, we thought coming into the season, he was going to be your second or third starter. If you're able to continue to get a little bit more moving forward out of Jack Flaherty, you feel really good about him. I think Wayno's going to be all right. He, he's going to be fine moving forward. And so now we're really talking about the very back end of your rotation. And there are a lot of teams that have questions at the back end, whether it be Oviedo or John Gant or Carlos Martinez. You got three options for those back end starters. You just need them to pitch better. And so John Gant gets the next start. What did you guys think about Oviedo, though? Because he has officially, for me, after what we saw yesterday, inserted himself into this conversation as to being a potential answer for the Cardinals rotation question. Yeah, he w- he's the opposite of what Ponce is because he's got multiple options. I mean, his curveball was filthy uh, in relief, just pulling strikeout after strikeout. He can give you length if you need that. He can give you five innings. I mean, what? He made it through basically five innings for you without giving up a run. So for me, he deserves to be in this rotation. Until we know about KK, Oviedo takes Ponce de Leon's spot. We'll see what Gant has to offer. For me, Carlos has got a little bit more of a leash than what John Gant has. Um, John Gant's got to, he's got to give me five innings because I got I, the back end of my rotation. I have to be confident can give me five innings because if you have back-to-back guys who can maybe get you to five, but more than likely they're going to hit about 80, 85 pitches in the third. That's when things start to fall off their, uh, their holders. Yeah, I'm with you. Gant, Oviedo impressed enough. I don't think he's in the rotation talk yet because I'm not concerned about Martinez. I understand he was hit around hard. I'm not. I'm not either. He went five innings and he bared down. How am I the one that is concerned about Carlos Martinez and you guys are on on the... I can give people a deep tease. You're going to have a lot more crazy Cardinals takes in just a bit. We are? Well, he is. Oh, nice. Oh, oh yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but with Martinez, I'm not, I understand he got hit hard in the first, but he bared down. He only got, gave up the one run. He was able to fight through and get through five innings. I'm okay with that as a starter. If he's able to just settle down and get through five, I understand he was hit hard. I, I think there's going to be an in-between of him. He's going to be in-between his first and second start. I think that's what you're going to get of Carlos this season. So I'm not too concerned yet. And it's early. That's part of the reason, too. Oviedo's in the discussion, and I think it comes down to Gant. If Gant struggles tonight, Oviedo will be slotted into the fifth spot, I would have to think, because you have to start getting guys that are consistent, getting that five innings. Gant, I think, went, what, four in his last start, if I'm not mistaken? So it's important for Gant to get five innings. And the fact of the matter that the rotation's gone, what did you say, seven or nine games, five or fewer innings? Yeah, that, that cannot they've had happen. one start so far that went more than five innings. That cannot that happen. Yeah. And and I know it's early, and it's not time to hit the panic button, but you've got to start getting the bullpen some rest. And the off days are going to come up here soon eventually where you're going to have none. You're going to have 14 games in, I don't know, 16 days. You just cannot have your starters only giving you less than five innings constantly. You have to get some consistency. That's why you're going to have to move to Oviedo if Gant struggles tonight, in my opinion. We can talk about depth all we want, but as soon as you tax your bullpen, you're done in this league. I mean, you cannot compete with the other teams if your bullpen is just broken because you got all these arms right now, but you need to have these arms ready to go come June, July, August, September, rather than April, May, and June. The Cardinals this season had two spots where they told us we're going to be okay there despite all of the concerns that you have because we can throw numbers at the problem. It was the outfield and it was the rotation. 
And I trusted the Cardinals. And I still do trust the Cardinals. It is way too early for me to completely jump off the bandwagon for those two things. However, the early indications are that they might have been wrong. And again, it is early. I'm not saying they are definitively wrong. I'm just saying, like, if you're looking at what the results have been thus far, throwing numbers at the outfield problem has not worked. The outfield is still a massive, massive issue, and we'll get more into that as we go along here today. The rotation, they threw numbers at it, right? Tanner wanted them all offseason to go after every guy that had an SP next to his name on the the free agent He wanted to go after RPs, too, just because (laughs) we could turn them into one. Exactly. They needed a starter, and a lot of you guys, 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line. Our texters said the same thing. They need to go get somebody that can stabilize this. And the Cardinals continuously said, no, 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 we're good. We got Gant, we got Oviedo, we got Ponce. We've got numbers here. The wallet was closed. <laughs> we, we, now, we now have the benefit of hindsight for the first basically two starts through the rotation. And it has looked ugly. I would be willing to bet that it gets better. I think this rotation is better than the numbers that they have shown. There is no way in my mind that they finish the year with literally the worst starting rotation ERA in baseball. And that's what they've been so far. So give them time. I think it's going to get figured out and they get their next chance tonight. Cardinals versus the Washington Nationals, 645 first pitch. And that one, you've got John Gant, big start for him coming up on the mound. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. It's 1115. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers and officially licensed Rolex Jewelers. 65780 is the air comfort service text line to get involved in the show throughout the day today. This is not very nice from the 314. Hey, guys, Nolan Arnato, just listening while I'm driving into the stadium. Can I give you guys a call? wonder what sure. you're referring to there. No, yeah. bring I them in. Let's, let's call them. T-Bone, call them up. We will it. have Jim Riggleman, the real Jim Riggleman, Jim Riggleman coming up Are at 12.15 sure? today on the show. Questions. Yeah. Coming up next. So, uh, Alex, I think I might have been wrong about something else. Blue's looking pretty good of late. What's that mean for them at the trade deadline? We'll talk about it next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. The Hoffman, another one-timer, he scores! The Blues have tied the game. A power play goal by Mike Hoffman. On again to Hoffman. One-timer on. They score! They've tied it. Jaden Schwartz wins the battle in the front of the net. Mike Hoffman teed up another one. And the St. Louis Blues with late game magic again have tied the game at two. O'Reilly, wrap around the backhand. They score! Bring out the Zamboni. The captain has launched the Blues back into a playoff spot. An overtime win for the Blues. As I've said all along, the Blues are making a comeback. Jordan Bennington said they're coming. He was right. They went 3-0 in the three games leading up to the NHL trade deadline. That is coming up at 2 o'clock today. We'll keep you updated if anything breaks on the Blues' plans for that. But they did, by going 3-0 in these last three games, Alex, as I said they would, make things really interesting for Doug Armstrong at the trade deadline. How do you think that their recent play will change Army's approach? Thank you, T-Bone. Actually, you know what? Do one more time, just because. Yeah, Dave's got to give two on that one. Because I think three, because there three, was a three-game win streak there. Yeah, and he's, he's on been... on the text slide from the 314. One. Guys, I've been waiting all weekend to listen to BK eat crow today. 
Give me wait a little more because I called this one. He's going to be eating crow all the rest of the season too for for uh, for his panic bus. And look, rightfully, I think it's fine that a lot of people weren't pleased with what the Blues were doing because, frankly, they weren't per- producing. They weren't yep. getting wins. And you know, I put, I think it was after that Colorado Avalanche loss, and I said the Blues literally did everything they could offensively, and they just got stifled by a goaltender. And people were like, "What the hell are you talking about? They need more goals." They've been trending in the right direction for the last five or six games. I'll go back to that Minnesota Wild loss that was two to nothing. They were trending in the right direction there. They were just getting beat on bad timing with goals, and they weren't able to respond from it. They started to respond a little bit more to the Colorado Avalanche series, and then they finally break through with that victory against the Vegas Golden Knights. This was going to happen at some point, and the Blues finally have confidence. They finally have gotten their confidence back. And none more prevalent of them having their confidence than that victory on Saturday because they were down two separate occasions. Both times, they allowed a goal with less than two minutes to go in the period. That that, That is signs for a loss if you're going back to that losing streak for this Blues team. But they battled through it, and they found a way to tie things. And, of course, Mike Hoffman in the center of this scoring the goals. But for right now, as a team, confidence is at an all-time high. You're in a playoff spot. Arizona is on a little bit of a skid. You have an opportunity to to widen that gap between yourself and those teams that are sitting behind you in that playoff position. And you also have an opportunity to tighten that gap between yourself and the Minnesota Wild. But it all comes down to continuing this consistent play. I'm really intrigued by what Doug Armstrong is going to do today because after this weekend, I would lean more on the side of them not making a move unless it's like a depth piece because they're starting to mesh as a team now, and I'm not sure if Doug Armstrong wants to mess that up. This is like the best and worst position to be Absolutely. in as a GM. 100%. Oh, gosh, yes, I've got a feeling we're coming back, but then it's like, dang, we're so close. We're right on that line of do we sell, do we do a hockey trade, or do we buy? I mean, you're right on the line. It's going to be tough for Doug Armstrong, like you said, Alex. I don't know I don't know what he's going to do. I almost kind of expect them just to kind of sit pat and just say, let this team ride out and see if they can go into the sunset and win another Stanley Cup. I think the guy that, to me, is still in question is Mike Hoffman. Now, again, to your point, Tanner, of Army being in a really tough spot, if Robert Thomas was healthy, if he did not get hurt over the weekend, I think Mike Hoffman would still get dealt today because I don't think Mike Hoffman would have played on Saturday. I think you would have seen him a healthy scratch once again. He gets dealt today, and they make a clean break with Hoffman. It just didn't work at the end here in St. Louis, and that's fine. Things happen. I don't know if that's the case now or not. For me... I still don't know if that is a great fit moving forward. I know he looked excellent on Saturday. And I know, Alex, you're probably going to tell me he also looked really good in his last game when he was not a healthy scratch. Also a fair point. My rebuttal would be this. While those two games he looked good, I don't know if that is going to be the consistent effort that you get moving forward from Hoffman. Maybe it will be. If you're Doug Armstrong, though, are you willing to take that risk? Because if it's not, then you're going to get the Mike Hoffman that was a healthy scratch for a reason moving forward. So what I would prefer to see them do is trade Mike Hoffman in, if it's out there, a hockey trade. Go get somebody that is not the goal-scoring producer that Mike Hoffman is, but maybe ends up giving you a little bit more when it comes to the forecheck. He's a little bit more active in the offensive zone. He's a little bit more responsible in the defensive zone. Somebody that is a Craig Berube player. 
is that going to be a classic trade where like the analysts nationally are going to give you a bunch of credit for it? No, they're going to pan you for it because you just traded a perennial 30 goal score for a guy that's going to come in and help you on the four check. But it might be something that helps this team win more consistently moving forward. So it's it's a really tough spot for Army today. His job was a lot easier a week ago than it is today. It is. And, you know, there's no uh, there's no thought process of selling anymore. And if you think the Blues still should sell, then you didn't pay attention to these last three games because they don't look like a team that's just on a hot streak. They look like a team that's playing the style that has been lacking from their game all season long. And maybe that clicks because they finally got Colton Pareko back. Maybe that clicks because their goaltenders are making the right saves, whatever it may be players are starting to play up to the level that we expect them to. I am on the opposite side of you with Mike Hoffman. If Thomas wasn't injured, yes, then Hoffman would have been traded today for anything you could have gotten because those those combinations were working with Thomas on the line of Bozak and Sanford. I liked it. But now there's not a trade out there for you that I think makes you better other than letting Mike Hoffman play more because if you're going to go out there and try and find a guy that can play third-line role like you're looking for, you're essentially looking for an Oscar Sundquist. You're not going to find that. You're not going to find that on this trade market that with players names out there right now, there's nobody who comes in and plays Craig Ruby's system. The guy that you have who was sitting in the press box for a couple of nights who hasn't had the season that a lot of people were hoping for. Although if you look at his numbers, he's got what 11 goals on the season, 23 points in 37 games. It's not a bad number for a guy who's been in and out of the lineup, but if you're going out there and looking for somebody to improve your roster, look no further than Mike Hoffman because he's been around this team all season. He's seen the system that he has to play. He's had the conversations with Craig Berube about what's lacking in his game. But where Mike Hoffman makes you better is at the man advantage. And if you look at his numbers from that game on Saturday, BK, he played two and a half minutes on the power play. Now, he wasn't on the number one unit, but they gave that second unit more opportunities on the power play, and he scores a power play goal on top of him scoring a goal at six on five. The Blues have nine goals this season when the goaltender is pulled, which, if I'm not mistaken, leads the NHL. It's been an unbelievable streak for them. Four of them have come from Mike Hoffman. So this is where, and if he's a third-line player, BK, that's fine. I don't need you to go out there and play 20 minutes a night. I got Ryan O'Reilly to do that. Shen, Schwartz, Tarasenko. I just need you to play 15, 16 minutes, and then I need you to go out there and produce at five on or at uh, on the power play and at even or uh, the, the, the goaltender pulled. Those are the areas that I need, and those are the areas that I don't think make you better if you try and go to the trade market. I don't know if we should read anything into this or not. Maybe let's play a quick game of something or nothing. According to Jim Thomas, Mike Hoffman just stepped on the ice as the Blues trickle out for their morning skate this morning. Alex, something or nothing that Mike Hoffman's out on the ice for the Blues this morning? I would say nothing because it's a morning skate. If there was a move to be made, I don't think that matters if he's on the ice for morning skate or not. Um but I, I'm not reading into that as, oh, yeah, he's going to stay here or he's going to be traded because we don't know what Doug Armstrong could do. He could pull the trigger on anything. It's just a matter of getting the right phone call from an individual who wants Mike Hoffman. But for right now, I would say plan on 68 being in the lineup tonight against Minnesota. I would agree with that. I think I don't think there's much to read into that. I would agree that he's probably in the lineup tonight against Minnesota. I, I think he, I'll go ahead and if like I'm making a prediction here, I think that they're not going to be able to find what they want for Mike Hoffman. After seeing the return for Taylor Hall, it seems like it's a buyer's market out there. And so if what you're going to get back for Mike Hoffman at this point is a 
third or fourth round pick, maybe at best. It's interesting, though, because if you look at some of the other guys that got traded, Nick Foligno from Columbus, he got a first round draft pick, which kind of surprising, in my opinion. Um, Kyle Palmieri got a first round pick and Palmieri is very comparable to Mike Hoffman on the ice. So a little more responsible, though, right? Hoffman is not known for his defensive prowess. Yeah, I mean, you could say in. a little more responsible, but I, I mean, if you look at plus minus, they're kind of the same when it comes down to it, you know, and I would say Mike Hoffman would be more desirable because he's a power play guy. If you can get a first round pick, I think they still trade him. Um, and the other thing is like when you're when you're looking at something like this, it doesn't necessarily mean I'm trading Mike Hoffman for a first round pick exclusively. I may then tr- flip that first round pick to somebody else. Really good defenseman that can come in and help me. Right. So it's it, it's not a direct one for one where I traded Hoffman for a defenseman, but it may end up being that that is the acquisition that you're making with the asset that you get for Hoffman. That would be what I would like to see them do. I just. As much as it was great to see Mike Hoffman on Saturday play so well and in the last game that he played as well at a high level, I don't think we're going to get that consistently. I don't think Hoffman has that in him here in St. Louis. And so I I hope I'm wrong. I've been wrong plenty about this Blues team. They went 3-0 and when I thought that they might be done. Let's see. But I, as of now, if I had to make a prediction, I think they stand pat. I would rather see them trade Mike Hoffman at the deadline, though. Yeah, I I see them standing pat. You know, maybe a move like Michael Delzato was that Doug Armstrong pulled off in 18-19. And I'm not trying to compare the two seasons. I am just saying, though, that if you're Doug Armstrong, you make a minor hockey move to add some depth to the defensive side. Maybe a depth piece at your forward position. But I don't see him going out there and making a significant move unless he kind of bl- unless he is blown away by a phone call from a general manager on the opposite side. I think he looks at this team and says three game win streak. You guys have been playing well. You go out there and perform this way the rest of the season and we don't need to change anything. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Blues versus Wild pregame coverage with Alex is coming up tonight at six o'clock. Coming up next, man, your boy Mike Claiborne. He tried to tell us exactly what was going to come from this Cardinals team. Replay that audio for you from a month ago and how it applies to what's gone wrong for the Cardinals coming up next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. It's a team that doesn't have a lot of room for error. Uh, It's very thin. Uh, we have a lot of unproven players in the outfield. You've got a question at shortstop. Uh, other than that, you know, your bench is kind of so-so. Uh, your starting pitching on the back end is going to raise a question mark after John Gant. This is a very thin team to start. I think they'll obviously assess it during the course of the season. And I'm willing to venture that what you see now is certainly not what you're going to see in September. That was like clairvoyant Klaibs right there. Well, I do call him Klaibstradamus. That was Mike Claiborne a month ago. You're just going to gloss over that? I thought clairvoyant Klaibs was pretty good, too. <laughs> we just glossed over that as well. I don't know what a clairvoyant is. Um, so Mike Claiborne basically told you a month ago exactly what was going to go wrong for the Cardinals. He said, this is a thin roster. You look at the bench. There's not a whole lot there. You look at their shortstop situation with Paul DeYoung. He saw some things that were concerning to him in spring training from DeYoung. Those have translated now into the regular season. And you look at the rotation as well. There were some questions at the back end. We all saw that. We thought that maybe you could get some positive answers on that. It hasn't gone that way at all. 
Well, Alex, let's hone in in particular on what has really gone wrong thus far. We talked about the rotation at the beginning of the show. Let's talk about the offensive side of things. It's the outfield. It's always been the outfield. It might always be the outfield. They're currently 28th in baseball in batting average from their outfielders. If you look at the WRC plus numbers, so you basically say, hey, what are the ballpark factors? How hard do you hit? All of the other stuff that goes into it. They're one of the five worst outfields in baseball in terms of their offensive production so far this season. There's nothing fluky about it. They've been bad offensively. I just, the thing that is a little concerning for me I don't know where the answers are going to come because right now you've got Dylan Carlson, who I feel really good about Austin Dean had a nice weekend. I don't know how sustainable it is that what we're seeing, because he also had a rough weekend when it came to his base running and his defense. Lane Thomas showed me nothing that would indicate that he is a fixed player right now. Justin Williams does not look very good to me at the plate. He also has had some questions in base running wise. I don't know what you do with this outfield. Tyler O'Neill now hurt once again. This is a recurring theme with him. It's every year, seemingly. There is another injury that pops up. What do you do with this outfield to get more production from them? Because that is the number one goal that we had at the beginning of the year, and it is still an issue today. There's nothing you can do. And I hate to say that, but there is nothing you can do because, like it or not, they're not going to make a trade anytime soon. Maybe we can call up Ryan Braun, friend of the show, and see if he'll sign. <laughs> Maybe he'll join the He's Cardinals. He's busy playing golf. Probably very true. But there, there's there's no options for you right now. This is, the, this is the grave you dug, so to speak. Now, I hate to make that sound so negative, but it's true. Yeah, especially in the outfield. We're talking about death again? Yeah, I know. Wow. Sorry. Harrison Bader, according to, to Katie, according to Katie, like Wu, six guys there. <laughs> our Cardinals insider with us, Katie Wu saying that, you know, Bader's all he's doing is running the base paths right now. And he's one arm workouts, which means that sounds like he's more than a month away from returning for this team. So your options are Justin Williams, Lane Thomas, Dylan Carlson and Austin Dean. Don't say it like I that. Know. It's, it's not really great. He's the best weekend. option they have right now. Which is not saying Outside a lot because I, I hate to say it, but man, he looked like Marcelo Zuna out there on Sunday. Because his bat. Yeah. But for me, this goes beyond the outfield. I go to what we just heard Clips talk about, the shortstop. I mean, right now you have three spots that are producing for you. It is Edmund, Arenado, and Goldschmidt. Yachty or Molina I'd throw in there, but I don't like Yachty in the cleanup spot. But the problem is you don't have anybody there. He's their best option right now. Paul DeYoung is in a 0-for-23 skid right now. He's gotten on base with some walks, but look at the runners in scoring position that Paul DeYoung has come up to the plate with. And it's been strikeout. It's been ground into double play. you got to have somebody behind those top three. Otherwise, it's going to be like Wilson from Castaway. You're just sitting there screaming for help, and nobody's coming. And the Cardinals have to find an option. It's not going to be Tyler O'Neill right now. I think it's time to put Dylan Carlson and what BK has been saying into the cleanup spot because he's the only one that's making contact for you. See, I'm okay with Yachty in the cleanup spot right now because he's is the only guy hitting. And as long as he's on fire, it gives time for some of those guys like a Paul DeYoung to try and get their game back. And Dylan Carlson, as, as much as you want to say put Carlson up there in the, into the cleanup spot, Carlson hasn't really impressed me that much. He, he's got the power. He, but he's he's striking out. He's I, I don't know. He hasn't impressed me a lot, and I, I like Yadi in that four spot. Honestly, I'm okay with Austin Dean in left field. He might be the solution right now with Tyler O'Neill out. Four for seven over the weekend, home runs, seven RBIs, zero strikeouts. So he's putting the ball in play, and I get it. It's probably not sustainable through a 162 game season. But if he gives you a solid month, 
then you're going to take that for now, and then you can move on and try and find the next hot bat yeah, heading but, into a month from now. But that's great about playing Dean, and he's going to hit the ball every once in a while, but if he's given up three runs in an inning because of a bad defensive play, I mean, what are we doing here? I mean, You, hit, you can't overcome that with a bad batting order. That's true, but with left field, I think you can hide Dean a little bit and maybe double switch him out later in games. I think you have to try and survive him through seven innings, and then you can put... Uh, Thomas in left, maybe move or maybe put Williams in left or, or put Thomas in left, put Carlson in center and then bring Williams into right field because he's not bad defensively. I think that's your best option because Dean is hitting the ball. I thought he looked great over the weekend. I, I think you keep him in left field, even if he is bad defensively. I think you can kind of hide him out there in left field. That's what we've talked about all along with Nagowski. If you yeah. want to put Nagowski in left field, not an outfielder, really, You're you can hide him point. there. You're getting to that point where you have to play him. The Cardinals have five guys right now that they can trust offensively, and that's it. You've got Edmund, Goldie, Arenado. Yachty is up there. Yachty has been one of their best hitters so far this season. There's no denying that. I'm with you, Tanner, over the long haul. I do not think he is your answer as your cleanup hitter. For the here and now, though, he might not be Mr. Right, but he is the Mr. Right now for the Cardinals batting cleanup for them. Dylan Carlson, I'm fine with him batting fifth. I do not think he should be batting in the bottom three of your order. Please stop doing that. But I think those are your those are the five guys or so right now that I think you can trust. Paul DeYoung's a guy you have to be able to trust because if this lineup is going to produce the way that it needs to, I don't know what you're going to get from the other outfield spots. I just don't. I don't know how anybody could possibly tell you that they do. But Paul DeYoung has to be better than he's been so far, especially with runners in scoring position. So far this year, boys, he is one for 11 at the plate with runners in scoring position. He has one single in those situations. He has one walk, four strikeouts. And that one single came in the second game of the season. It's not good enough. And he was the guy that you were counting on coming into the year as being your cleanup hitter. He has proven so far, again, it's early, but so far he is not up for that job right now. Yadier Molina has been better. He deserves to be in that spot for now. I think that moving forward, he's the guy that I feel best about giving you more production at the plate. I don't know what you're going to get, whether it be Austin Dean or Lane Thomas, Tyler O'Neill later, Harrison Bayer, whoever, right? They've got a million different options. None of them are great at the plate, if we're being honest. Even Austin Dean, who looks good over the weekend, there's really no track record there to tell us this is what he's going to be moving forward. I am very curious to see what things look like today in the lineup. If I had to guess... It's a righty on the mound every game in this series. If I had to guess, I think you're going to see a decent amount of Matt Carpenter. I think you're going to see him at second. Yes. I think you're going to see Tommy Edmond in right field. And then let's see what happens. Maybe you see Tommy Edmond in left, honestly. And let's see what happens with what they do with Justin Williams versus Austin Dean. I think that's going to be the question more so than anything else for them in the outfield in this particular series. If Dean's not in the lineup today, I think it's a mistake. I get it, it's a righty, but he's the hot bat. And I understand, four for seven, that's a very small sample size. But that's what he, we got. But he's like the only guy hitting in the outfield. Minus Carlson. Carlson's done okay. But I, I think you hit Dean. I think Dean's got to start left field these three games against the Nationals. I don't care if it is a right-handed pitcher. Maybe you do put Carpenter at second, but Edmonds in right field. I, I think you ride Carlson, put Carlson in center. Dean's your left fielder. Edmonds your right fielder. Carlson's your best uh, center fielder defensively, by the way. I yeah. can't believe I'm saying this. I did not expect to be saying this two weeks into the season. I think Bader, when he gets back, deserves to be in center field against lefties. Against righties, I think Dylan Carlson should be in center field. He's really good defensively out there. And Lane Thomas, once again, another misplay. I just, he's not as good defensively as I expected him to be out there. I wasn't upset with that misplay. I mean, he he made a dive. Really? Yeah, I mean, he made a basket catch for it. I mean, it's the right move. He just was short in something like that. I, I, 
I think Lane Thomas is fine in center field, but I'd be fine with Dylan Carlson there as well. Let me ask you guys get this, because what are we doing here? Is Austin Dean your future? No. Yes. Then why the oh, hell no. are we playing him? Because he's a hot bat. I get it. Who uh, who out there? Who of the options I, that you could is your? If future? we're seeing right-handers, I'm playing Justin Williams and Lane Thomas, and it sucks. I get it, but again, this is what the, have they shown you that Austin Dean has not? Nothing. So then, but this Austin is the, Dean is every much as uh, is every bit as much your future as those but guys this is are. The that bed, would be my rebuttal. But this is the bed you made if you're John Mozeliak. You went into this season saying Lane Thomas, Justin Williams, Tyler O'Neill, Harrison Bader, Dylan Carlson. Austin Dean was not supposed to be in the picture, but Lane Thomas was bad. I, I, Austin I think, Dean made the team over Lane Thomas because Lane Thomas was bad. If Lane Thomas would have played the rest of spring training the way he started, we're not even talking Austin Dean. I hear you, but he didn't. And so, but this the, is this is where I'm coming from with this though. Like Austin Dean is not going to be the future for the Cardinals. Neither is Lane Thomas. Neither Wait, is Justin Williams. Both of those two names, though, I don't want to hear them brought up in the off season. And if they don't play because Austin Dean's the hot bat, we're going to hear it again. So can we please just keep I, these guys in the lineup so that we can get to the point when Bader comes back from the injured list and say, finally, Justin Williams is not the answer. Guys, I, I hear you. But this, this was my concern all along. They have too many options. As much as they tried to clarify the outfield situation, all they did was muddy it up even more. Because now we are two weeks into the season, not even two weeks into the season. You have six options out there. And now Tommy Edmond is inserting his name into the mix as well. You've already had like seven guys start in the outfield for you. This is how things get muddy. This is how you get to the end of the season. And it's like, oh, man, Austin Dean, maybe we need to see more of him next year. This is this has always been the issue for them in the past. And it is once again arising for them in 2021. Schilt is telling the front office that he does not think Justin Williams is a big leaguer. That's what I read into in the first couple weeks. Again, it's early, but he, he doesn't look like a major league player at the plate. He's had one good hit ball that was out to deep center. Other than that, he's not driving the ball. He's striking out a lot. Mike Schultz telling the front office, hey, look, I've got enough of a look at Justin Williams. He's not in the future, and I get it. I understand because I don't want to hear the same excuse in the offseason either, especially with the money coming off the books. But Mike Schultz has made it pretty clear, in my opinion, that Justin Williams is not a part of the future, and he's not hitting the ball. Does Mike Schultz make the trades, or does John Mozeliak make the trades? Well, I'd like to think they're both involved. Well, but I don't think, I think they are. So, And I think that's why we're going to be back at this spot in the end of the season saying, well, we didn't get enough at-bats for Justin Williams or, or uh, uh, Lane Thomas. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line. The last thing that I'll add here, John Nagowski also has zero starts so far in the outfield, despite all of this happening with the lack of production. Another telling which is, sign. Get used to it. That That is the thing that I still just cannot understand. I mean, I Austin Dean is not a very good outfielder defensively. If that guy can get consistent at bats in left field, so should John Nagowski. Just I wait until Carpenter gets a start in the outfield over Nagowski. <laughs> Coming up next, 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. Questions and answers on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. The Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers coming up here in just about 10 minutes or so. The captain is stepping up in the way that he should. We'll get into that coming up here in about 10 minutes or so. But right now from the 314, guys, is it time for the Cardinals to move on from Jeff Albert? It seems like there are a lot of Cardinals players who appear to be lost at the plate once again. If you're asking me, yeah. But if you ask the Cardinals, there's no way in hell. They could be the worst team in every hitting category, and I still don't think that John Mozeliak moves on from Jeff Albert because he's the systematic hitting coach. 
Yeah, he's in charge of the entire yeah. system, not just the big league roster. They've told us that a million times. Dylan Carlson seems to be hitting pretty well. So here's the here's the thing that's tough about the Cardinals this year. When you're looking at it through the prism of what you're getting out of the hitting coach, who are the guys that I need to hone in on? Because it's not Paul Goldschmidt. It's not Nolan Arenado. I know those guys are going to be able to hit. They've done it throughout their entire careers. I'm not judging any hitting coach on what Nolan Arenado and Paul Goldschmidt do at the plate. It should be guys who need to make adjustments like Paul DeYoung right now, like basically everybody in the outfield right now. Those are the guys that I'm going to judge Jeff Albert on. And I need to see, I need the benefit of time to be able to find out what he's able to do with those guys. Can you get Paul DeYoung swing back on track? That is your job as a hitting coach. Mentally, physically, find a way to get Paul DeYoung back on track. Tyler O'Neill. I know we've got the injury that's kind of murkying things with him right now, but when he gets back on the field, can you get his swing back on track? Those are the kinds of guys that I'm going to be judging Jeff Albert on. And so far, we just don't have enough time to be able to accurately and fairly judge him on those things. It's interesting, and I'll... I'll throw a question into question and answers at what point do you say it's the player because as much as we talk about those guys that we're judging it off of wouldn't you be judging it off of tommy edmund tommy edmund has been performing well sure and tommy edmund performed well the last two seasons when jeff albert was here so as much as we're going to say wow it's him because look at this but then on the flip side you got guys who are actually making contact dylan carlson is another one i mean like it or not he's been working with jeff albert these last couple of seasons so at what point do you say it might be the players now you you, i think it's fair to at least ask that question and i think that it is fair to wonder is tyler o'neill just not a he's he's a 4a player or he's a fourth outfielder who could maybe bring some pop off he's a bench bench. bat yeah those are fair questions to ask. Also, this one from the 314. Guys, it seems to me that Jim Edmonds wants to be the hitting coach, and I think that he conveys that during his time on TV with his analysis. Do it right now. Well, we asked J- Jim Edmonds on this show last season if he wanted to be the hitting coach. He told us pretty clearly no. Yeah. Um, he likes being able to work with these guys in private. He likes being able to um, help them on his time. It, it is a huge commitment to do 162 games as the hitting coach. And maybe Edmonds now wants to do that. But based on the the way that he conveyed things to us last year, it seemed like the answer was no. Yeah. Not right now. It's just so hard for me to decipher that. And one, I've never been a hitter, so I don't know. But I go off of guys we've talked to. Torrey Hunter was another guy we spoke to a couple of weeks ago who said at one point he just stopped listening to the outside noise and doing it himself. I just wish that Paul DeYoung would do that. I wish that Tyler O'Neill would do that. Paul DeYoung was a great hitter his first year at the major league level. And then it just started to to digress once you started to move in different hitting coaches and different voices that are trying to fix things. And and back to the original question of, you know, judging Jeff Albert on his stuff. I think by the All-Star break, you'll have an idea because you'll look back. You'll look back and like you mentioned, BK, with DeYoung. Can you fix Paul DeYoung? By the All-Star break, we'll know. For sure. Can you fix the outfielders when O'Neill comes back? Can you get uh, Bader swing to be fixed when he comes back from injury? We'll know all that by the All-Star break. I think by the All-Star break, if we're not seeing much offense from the outfield and Paul DeYoung, then I think the Cardinals might actually consider making a move to move on from Jeff Albert. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service X line from the 314. Guys, how does Milwaukee seem to find hitters every year that come in and produce, and yet the Cardinals can't find those guys? 
I think that is a little reactionary to what we just saw over the weekend because the Cardinals in the past have been really good at finding average to above average major league hitters. Brad Miller. Absolutely. Not Milsey. dead, by the way. Milsey. It's a really good Ron one. Ron Ravello. Well, That's a less one. good one. Um, like John Nagowski, for example. They've got him on the team. He seems to hit everything that comes his way. I'd argue he's the same as Ravello. I would not argue that. Um, the, the problem is they've got to use him, and they've got to put him in the lineup. Well, that's, so that's not going to happen. That's something that you've got to take into because account. Because the barrel rate on Matt Carpenter is so good. I don't think Matt Carpenter is the one that's keeping him out of the lineup. 65780 is the air comfort service text line. Uh, guys, how do you guys feel about what we've seen so far from Tommy Edmond defensively? I was a little concerned about moving from moving on from Colton Wong, but Edmond has been really good, I think. I love it, man. I mean, he he's made plays that I look at and I say, damn, is that Colton Wong? Like Sunday. I mean, that diving play that he made that was going up the middle, that was patented Colton Wong. So I, I said it at the beginning. Of, I think all three of us said it at the beginning of the season. Tommy Edmond could legitimately win a gold glove at second base for how good he plays. I did not, but you did. And I got to give you full credit for it. He's been outstanding defensively uh, so far. Yeah. And I mean, that infield, despite the offensive deficiency from Paul DeYoung, you got a gold glove at every position in that infield. And Tommy Edmond has been every, he makes John Mosaic like a genius when it comes to talent evaluation on the player personnel side. Yeah. Edmond's been great at second base. And that's what makes it frustrating that you have to move him to the outfield just to get some production in the outfield. Because I agree, he could be a gold glove winner at some point. He's been he's been tremendous so far this year. He's been so much better defensively than I expected. I thought he could be pretty solid. I didn't think he was going to be basically equivalent to yeah. what you got out of Colton Wong and he has been so it'll far. be interesting if Colton Wong who is injured right now and hopefully it's not a long-term injury but if Colton Wong has an injury plagued season I mean does Tommy Edmond become the favorite at second base for a gold glove in the National League at the very least he's in the conversation I mean he's got to be top three for you yeah. I, I'd have to go through to check to yeah. see what the, what the conversation know what will at. look like and we've got a lot more time before we get there but He's absolutely going to find himself in the conversation if he continues to play this way, but he has to get more consistent starts at second base and not in the outfield. It's another part of this. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. Coming up in about 15 minutes, Jim Riggleman, guy who spent a ton of time in the Cardinals organization, both in the minor leagues as a player and then eventually in the system as a coach. He also had a 13-year major league manager career. So Jim Riggleman is going to join us coming up in about 15 minutes or so. Coming up next, the Blues captain sounded really down a couple of weeks ago. Well, he found a way to lift the Blues back up over the weekend. We got to talk about it coming up next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. O'Reilly, wrap around the back and they score! He has a lot of pride, and he takes it upon himself when, you know, we're not scoring goals. We went through that streak where we're not scoring a lot, and he takes a lot of that on upon himself. Um, You know, he's done a great job, in my opinion, of, you know, playing consistent hockey throughout the season, um, through through the good times and the bad times, and uh, he's producing for us on a nightly basis. What an unbelievable win. What an unbelievable shot 
by Ryan O'Reilly as time was getting ready to expire for the Blues. He stepped up the way that a captain should. And with Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Guys, we got to give a little love to the captain because here's a question for you. Do you know who currently leads the Blues in goals on the season? Going to go with O'Reilly. Ryan O'Reilly. How about that? This is not a guy that you would expect coming into the year would lead your squad in goals. He has 17 now on the season in 41 games. He is now on the year a plus 18 in his time on the ice. That is literally double the second best player on the Blues in their plus minus, which is Justin Falk at a plus nine so far this year. Heck, his 30 even strength points on the year tied for 11th in all of hockey. Ryan O'Reilly, for as much as we've been disappointed by a whole lot of the Blues' top guys not performing up to par this season, Ryan O'Reilly, for me, has always been an exclusion on that list. He is once again performing at a high level and never more so than what we've seen over the last few games from him. He's been outstanding, and he is a huge reason why the Blues are seemingly getting back on track. Doesn't surprise me. I mean, ever since he's walked through those doors here in St. Louis, he has been one of the best players on the ice, and you know how we always talk about, especially the losing streaks, your best players need to be your best players. Well, Ryan O'Reilly has been that all season. And despite his post-game press conferences where he puts a lot of pressure on himself and puts the onus on himself, which you expect your captain to do, he's not going to sit there and call out his teammates. He has gone out there and performed every game. And if you look at his ice time, it's starting to, to make sense why he's producing this way. He's not being utilized as much, yep. you know, like he's not having to play 22, 23 minutes a night like he was when they didn't have a third or fourth line because of all of the injuries. He's starting to play 19 minutes, 18 minutes, 20 minutes at best because Craig Berube can can defer different scenarios to other players. And I think that's where Ryan O'Reilly's at his best when he doesn't have to play the power play, the penalty kill five on five, four on four, three on three where he doesn't have to be out there all the time, where you can say, hey, Schwartzy line, go out there and get something done. Take a breath from the captain. So he's been everything for the Blues. I'd argue he's kind of a heart and soul kind of guy for this team when he's on the ice, when he's off the ice. And when Ryan O'Reilly is producing, the rest of the team is right behind him. Question for you, Alex. You said earlier that you thought there was a little bit of a turning point, a game that you thought hey, at that point in time, I thought maybe things could could start going a little better. Mm-hmm. You said it was Minnesota, right? That that loss against Minnesota. It's when it started to trend in the right direction, in my opinion. Let's go back one game further, that San Jose game, where uh, Ryan O'Reilly, one goal, three assists. Is that the 5-2 to two victory? Mm-hmm. How about in the 10-game six since that? Ryan O'Reilly, seven goals, four assists, 11 points, a plus nine in those 10 games. Mm -hmm. You talked about how the Blues got back on track. Well, you also said Ryan O'Reilly's the one that leads the way. He has been leading the way in every every possible way in that time. How about this? This is crazy. Ryan O'Reilly is shooting 32% in that stretch. Now, for those of you not familiar with what that means, 32% of his shots in the last 10 games have been converted into goals, which is a wild statistic. Typically, that's around like 10% for good players. Mm -hmm. He's at 32%. Ryan O'Reilly's been outstanding, and he is part of what has gone right for the Blues. He talked after the game on Saturday night about the Blues now being in fourth place, being back into the playoff conversation. Yeah, I know, you know, we don't want to watch... uh the standings too much we know that uh it's going to be a tight race no matter what and every every game is so important every point is so important 
you know, I think for us, the focus is next game now. You know, we got these guys again. And again, we got to keep climbing. We got to keep climbing and, and, and solidify a spot. So it's... You know, it's it's going to be tough. You know, we don't want to look at, at it now and be satisfied. You know, we got a lot of work ahead of us. I said this with Jeremy Rutherford on Saturday on my pregame show because Vince Dunn had a very similar comment to what Ryan O'Reilly said. And everything they're saying right now sounds exactly like that team in 1819 when Craig Bruby ripped that thing off the wall and said, don't worry about anybody else, worry about yourselves because they're focusing on their themselves. And again, this goes back to that San Jose Sharks game and the Minnesota Wild game, BK. They've been playing sound hockey. They're, all, they're not allowing a lot of shots on goal. And I believe it's six of their last eight games or seven of their last nine. I got to go back and look. They're putting 30-plus shots on net every single night, yep. which means they're getting scoring opportunities. And then just look at what they've done in these last three games. You picked up three goals. You picked up nine goals. You picked up three goals. That's producing offensively. You stick to the system, and offense is going to come. But you got to do the right things. And Ryan O'Reilly has been that guy. Braden Shen, despite not having goals, has been that guy. They're doing the right things on the ice, and they're saying the right things in that locker room. And at even strength, that's where Ryan O'Reilly gets me. Even strength, he is everything for this team because he's matching up against the team's top lines. Go look at how many goals Kaprizov scored in those last two games against Minnesota. None. Go back and look at that Vegas Golden Knights game. How many points did Mark Stone get in that game? None. That's where Ryan O'Reilly comes into play. When his line can play against the top line on the opposite side, that opens up opportunities for the line that I like to call Shorshenko to come through and start producing. He shuts down top lines. Blues have odd matchups going the opposite direction. So here's the question. What's it mean, right? Because everybody's looking to 2 o'clock. You got about an hour and a half, a little more than that now, until the official trade deadline for the Blues. Jeremy Rutherford was just on the uh, media call with Craig Berube. He tweeted out that Berube thinks the Blues will stay intact today, but said, quote, you never know, and the team will adjust if anything were to happen. So, Alex, they've won three straight. Ryan O'Reilly looks awesome. Mike Hoffman just had a really good game on Saturday. Robert Thomas is now hurt. There's a spot for Hoffman in the lineup. Do you believe at this point that the Blues will stand pat based on all of the evidence that we have thus far? Stand pat in terms of a significant upgrade? Yes. I don't see them making a move that you say, oh, wow, way to go, Doug Armstrong. They could make a move very similar to Michael Delzato was a couple of years ago. You're going to get yourself a depth player. I don't know if it'll be a forward or a defenseman. My guess would be a forward because right now with Thomas being injured and Sunquist not coming back, the next guy up for you is a Dakota Joshua who's played well, but I think you'd feel more comfortable with a guy with a little more veteran experience. You know, De La Rose is there as well, but cap situation might be a little iffy. Um, if they make a move, it's going to be, you know, trading away a fourth, a fifth, a sixth round pick. Get yourself a depth player. But I don't see Doug Armstrong making a move that is going to change the starting lineup on a nightly basis. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up next, Jim Riggleman, former player and coach within the Cardinals organization and 13-year major league manager. Going to join the show to talk about how are minor leaguers going to bounce back after last year's weird season and I got to ask him, how frustrating is the replay review system for managers? We saw that happen in the Cardinals game with the Justin Williams play at third base. I want to ask him about that. And we saw another big play that should have gone the other way last night on Sunday Night Baseball. Jim Riggleman joins us to talk about it all coming up next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. 
with Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie, hoping to be joined by Jim Riggleman, former Cardinals minor leaguer and former Cardinals coach as well. Also it is Jim 30- Riggleman, right? Not Jim Figgleman. <laughs> This one is real. Okay. Jim Riggleman is actually going to be joining the show, hopefully, here in the next couple of minutes. Alex, as we've got a little bit of time here before uh, before we're able to talk with Jim Riggleman, anything that has stood out to you so far with the NHL trade deadline, whether it be moves that have been made, still could be made, anything that has happened so far or that is on the uh, periphery that has interested you? Well, I'll tell you this, and I know they're not in the same division as the Blues, but... Um, Toronto, it, Toronto's going all out for a cup. I mean, they made the trade for Nick Foligno the other day, who's uh, he's a really good player for them. I mean, he was a captain for Columbus. I, I mentioned him a, last week that be a good connection. I mean, they traded a first-round pick for that. They're going all in. I'm a little surprised at how much teams are paying for players, especially with this expansion draft, because Tampa gave up a first and a third round pick. Um, As we mentioned, Taylor Hall was kind of a steal for Boston, only having to pay a third and fourth round pick. So the asking price is a little crazy. And I'll give you the one that really has stuck out to me, BK. The middlemen in these trade deadlines, and a lot of people have talked about kind of how they're going about this season with the expansion draft and the salary being flat. But we've seen a good three or four teams that have been the middleman, basically the financial purse for some of the teams that are cap strangled. Like earlier, Chicago just traded Matias Janmark to Vegas. And to make that work, San Jose is eating some of that salary cap and giving up a draft pick to both teams. So if the Blues were to make a move, that would be the way I think I would see Doug Armstrong doing it, of saying, okay, you're going to take some of the money, and we'll give you a fifth-round draft pick You see it. this in the NBA a lot, where a team will join into a trade to be able to acquire some of that salary because they've got room available, mm-hmm. and for their for them taking on that money, they'll get like a fourth, fifth, whatever, right. uh, a draft pick that will end up helping them uh, – moving forward so typically it's teams that are not in the mix and they might as well go ahead and get something in return for the cap space that they weren't otherwise using so it's a smart way to do it yeah you see it a lot with teams in the nba we've seen it a little bit in the nfl now it's making its way into the nhl with alex ferrario and tanner hendrickson i'm brandon kylie now very happy to go out to the brown and crouppen celebrity line former cardinals infielder and outfielder in the minor league system and former cardinal coach jim riggleman joining us now via the brown and crouppen celebrity line jim thank you so much for hopping on with us today how are you doing my friend very good. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely thrilled to have you. So I wanted to start with your career here in St. Louis, if you don't mind. How much of an influence was your time here and specifically with Whitey Herzog on what ended up being an incredibly successful and long lasting uh, major league managerial and coaching career for you? Well, um, you know, I, it was a long career. I, I don't know how successful, but I appreciate you saying that. Of course. Um, but you know, um, Whitey um, was the manager in the big leagues when I was uh, managing in the minor leagues, and myself and everybody in the system really looked up to Whitey and admired him. And then uh, when I was fortunate enough to get added to his coaching staff, um, that was the uh, biggest break I ever had in, you know, as far as coaching and managing because uh, it was a little bit like. Um, you know, Nick Label went that route. He got named to the coaching staff, and then he became a manager. And uh, it was a little bit like back in the day, for those of your listeners who remember Bear Bryant, 
if you were a Bear Bryant assistant, uh, you had a chance to get a, a head job somewhere, you know, and that's kind of the way it was with if you worked under Whitey, uh, you, you had a pretty good chance to at least get some interviews to go manage your own club someday. How much of, of Whitey's influence did you take with you, Jim, uh, throughout your time in the major league? And really, how much of the Cardinals organization influence did you take with you? Well, both and a lot. I mean, you know, for me, uh, I've told people this many times. I think Whitey's the best baseball man I've ever been around uh, in terms of managing a ball game, managing a ball club, uh, knowledge, strategy, everything that encompasses a manager. And so, you know, those of us who uh, were around him tried to watch what he does and situation and, uh, you know, how he handled the pitching staff, how he set up his uh, – pinch hitters and double switch, everything that he did, you kind of just uh, sucked it all up. And, um, you know, a lot of it was stuff that you believed in already. And when you would see him do it, it kind of validated what you felt. Uh, some of it was stuff that you never would have thought of. And you would see him doing, you realize, wow, you know, this is uh, what an education we're getting here because we're watching the best at work every day. Jim, I'm I'm curious, how much has things changed, though, for a manager from the 80s when you were with um, Whitey here in St. Louis to what's taking place now in the dugout with managers? It's changed a lot. You know, the, the game evolves. Um, you know, uh, I'm, I'm sure people probably who were managing in the 50s uh, looked at the way people ran the games in the 70s and 80s and maybe shook their head a little. But, you know, those of us guys who are older and, and not managing anymore, uh, you know, we look at some of the things that take place today and, and shake our heads. But, you know, like I said, the game evolves. Um, the biggest difference, I do think, is um, the way the pitchers are handled. Uh, you know, we ask so little of our pitchers now. I think we ask too little. Now, maybe, you know, some people will say, well, you know what, they're throwing harder now and it's, uh, it's more stress on their arms and so forth. So you got to use them less and give your relievers more rest in between appearances. But, you know, there were guys, you know, Gibson, Seaver, uh, Koufax, uh, you know, more recently, Goose Gossage. You know, these guys had, they threw hard. They, they had violent deliveries, some of them. And, um, you know, they took the ball often and uh, they pitched deep into ball games. They pitched on three days rest a lot of times. They did whatever it took. And um, for whatever reason, we've gradually gotten away from that. And um, if you're managing in today's game, that's what you're going to have to do. You, it, you, you, you can't manage it the way you used to. Especially this year, Jim, because we're talking with Jim Riggleman, former major league manager joining us here on 101 ESPN with the, the truncated season last year, 60 games. I know here in St. Louis, there's already talk about potentially going to a six man rotation. They've got a lot of guys like Alex Reyes in particular, who didn't get very many innings and has been coming off of some injuries. So they're being super careful with him as well. How do you, if you were a manager, how do you deal with this coming off of that truncated season? Is it something where you do have to kind of uh, be almost handling this with kid gloves? Yeah, you probably do. And, you know, depending on who you are as the manager, you know, uh, to be honest with you, um, if you are solidified in your position, uh, you know, if you were, um, you know, Jim Leland, Whitey Herzog, Tony La Russa, you know, you can kind of uh, put your stamp on it. And, uh, but if, if you are 
Derek Shelton, if you are the young man in San Diego, uh, Tangler, and you're, you know, you're just getting your foot in the door, it's going to be a team effort. You know, you're going to listen to your front office. Uh, you're going to use their direction. And um, that's going to dictate a lot of how you handle your, your pitchers. And, um, you know, that takes away something from the managing. You know, you, you go through the minor leagues and you learn how to manage. You, you coach in the big leagues and you learn more about managing. And um, a lot of those things, if you learn those things in the 80s and 90s, you're not, you're not going to be able to use those methods in, in today's game. An example of who's been through it all is Brian Snitker. You know, Brian's a wonderful man. Uh, great gamer uh, as a player and as a, as a lifelong employee with the, with the Braves. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm sure he, he's having to adjust greatly compared to the way he did things uh, back when he was managing in the, in the 80s and 90s. Jim, take me into the mind of a manager here because here in St. Louis, look, I know the Tony La Russa famous quote, it's the first week of the season, but <laughs> the Cardinals are struggling to get offense right now from some of their young outfielders. From a manager's perspective, how tough is it when, when you have guys struggling, but you want to get them out of their rut between playing them or going back to somebody else? Yeah, that's, that's always a tough call. That's kind of like a little bit like uh, how long do you stay with your closer if he's blowing games, you know, right. and, you know, it's a fine line. Again, if you are, um, you know, if you're one of the big boys managing and you've got a lot of uh, success uh, on your resume, uh, you, you can be more patient. But if you, uh, you know, if you're new at it and it, or if you are, uh, you haven't won enough games and every game is life and death for you to keep your job, then you're liable to uh, pull the plug on those players a little sooner. So, uh, again, though, I think in today's world, there's probably more dialogue between the front office and the manager as to how long to stay with somebody. And probably today's players, those young outfielders that you have there in St. Louis, they probably uh, they understand that uh, Mike Schultz, is getting input from the front office. So they're not going to be as bitter with Mike as maybe they would be back in the day. If I was to, uh, you know, pull the plug on one of my outfielders when I was managing the Cubs in the nineties, if he was struggling and I took him out of the game, I'm liable to have a fight in my office. You know, <laughs> Jim, that's actually something that I wanted to ask you about. What are those conversations like? If you can take us into the room and I, I'm not asking you to tell us about one per- a conversation in particular, but what are those conversations like when you've got, for example, here in St. Louis, they've got a guy by the name of Williams, who's a young outfielder, left-handed hitter, who's been struggling at the plate this year, but they want to see what he can do. As a manager, I would imagine you want to get somebody out there that's going to produce a little bit more, but the front office might want to see what the young guy can do. Can you take us into what that conversation would be like? Yeah, that's, again, that's a tough one because, you know, at some point uh, the manager is going to be evaluated on his wins and losses. And, um, you know, if if this young man is struggling enough that uh, he keeps coming up in situations where we could break the game open and, uh, you know, he's popping up or striking out or whatever, uh, doesn't have a good at bat, then, um, you know, you're going to be inclined to say, you know what, I'm going to have to pinch hit for this guy. I, I I can start him. I think maybe you make the, um, uh, the concession that, you know what, you want to keep running him out there, I'll be glad to do it because I, I agree with you. I think he's going to be a heck of a player. But right now, uh, you know, every game is big. This is the real season. This is not spring training. 
if I got a man on third and less than two outs, I, I might pinch hit for him, especially if there's a left-handed pitcher out there. So, um, you know, if you are directed to not do that, then again, are you Jim Leland or are you um, Derek Shelton, you know? Jim, my final one for me, and I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you this because I'm sure you have seen what everyone's talking about from the Braves and Phillies game of the blown call from Major League Baseball replay. A lot of people up in arms saying that Major League Baseball blew it with this one. I'm curious your thoughts on where the game is and what that does to the game. Well, you know, I, I haven't watched a lot of the games. I did see the replays, and I was—I did happen to be watching the Mets game when Conforto got hit by the pitch. Uh, I think both calls were, you know, went the wrong way. But, um, you know, I don't know what the solution is, but I, I do think that uh, the Phillies guy, Brom, however you pronounce his name, the third baseman for the Phillies, I thought he was out at the plate, and... Um, I thought Conforto, I thought that pitch should have been called a strike to Conforto when, when he got hit on the elbow. But, um, um, you know, it's, it, it's this uh, replay is, uh, I don't like the way it's done anyway, uh, but it, it's a work in progress. You know, these, these major things come up like this, and that might be the impetus to say, you know what, we got to make some changes to what we're doing here because we – we had two huge calls uh, that ended ball games in both cases. The game ended on those plays, and um, we got them wrong. Hey, we'll get you out of here on this, Jim. What would you like to see changed? Is there anything in particular that you think they could do to fix this? You know what? <clears throat> I'm glad you asked that. Two things. First of all, if you've got a minute, I'd like to talk Please. about the DH a little bit. But the thing that I would I would like to see changed on replay is I think that you should have to uh, ask for replay or not right now. Don't, don't get, go to the video. Don't let your people go to the phone, be talking to the guy up in the video room and say, okay, let's challenge this or not. You know, that slows things down and it takes away from the integrity. I think of, of the, the action in the game, the, the, the umpire made the call. My, my shortstop put the tag on, he thinks the guy's out. He's yelling in the dugout, hey, he's out. I, he's out. They, they called him safe, but he's out. Okay, we're going to challenge it. Well, guess what? Now we review it, and my shortstop was wrong. He was safe. So, um, you know, that happens a couple times. You're going to say, you know what? i got to stop listening to my shortstop. We're, we're losing our challenges uh, every time he complains. My first base coach says our guy was safe. They called him out. And now you either say, okay, let's let's uh let's challenge it but don't don't get the opportunity to go to replay for a minute and everybody's waiting and say okay no we're not going to challenge it It looks like it's too close we'll leave it alone i I hate that i I don't think the video should be involved in that at all i think the video should only be involved if you do challenge don't use it as a tool to challenge the other thing and when you said is there anything i would change i hate <clears throat> that it looks like we're going to go to the DH in the National League eventually. To me, the, I hate the DH. And I could go on and on about it. It's not about, uh, well, it's boring, the pitchers can't hit, they come up to the plate, and it's, it's an ugly at bat. That has, that's the least impactful part of the DH for me. The, the impactful part of having a DH or having the pitcher hit is that that pitcher 
He's out there pitching. He's up fourth next inning. Now, as a manager, i got to make a decision. He's struggling a little bit. Do I take him out? But if I do, he's up fourth. I don't really have a comfortable double switch I need to make. So, um, you know, I'm going to double switch him out of the game. I'm taking a guy out of the game that I don't want to take out. But it's much more strategy. It's a it's just a better game with the pitcher hitting. And um, I, I just hate that we're going to move to, to, I think, a less exciting game when we have the DH. I know people, they want to see those sluggers and all that. But you know what? Uh, Baseball is an offensive and defensive game. Learn how to play a position and, and go play it or, or become a pinch hitter. Well, Jim, I know there are a hell of a lot of fans here in St. Louis that agree with every single word that you just said. I'll tell you that much. You already had plenty of Cardinals fans. You have even more after today. He's Jim Riggleman, former Cardinals minor leaguer, former Cardinals coach, and 13 years as a major league manager. Jim, let's do this again sometime soon, my friend. Thanks so much for hopping on with us today. Thank you very much. Anytime. Absolutely. That's Jim Riggleman on 101 ESPN. Man, Tanner Hendrickson. I know. I've never seen him smile more than what you just heard from Jim Riggleman. (laughs) He he is grinning from ear to ear, and all he could say was, I love this guy. (laughs) Stop licking your lips, T-Bone. It's weird. Oh, no need for a DH. Yes. Let the pitchers hit, baby. Let the pitchers ground out. Johan Oviedo yesterday, that's as comfortable as I've ever seen a pitcher look in the batter's box. One out of what? Every 15 that you see? Wayno looks good at the plate. He look, Wayno well, looked good at the plate. If the Cardinals did have a designated hitter this year, I think I know who would be getting the opportunity. Johan Oviedo. He deserves some more coming up on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. It's I'm literally scratching my head um, at, at the at the madness that is taking place with carp. Um, there's too many balls that get hit that are going out of the ballpark that don't have the trajectory and the measurables that exists in our game and don't get rewarded. It's almost indescribable, but it's definitely baffling. And at some point, you go, man, how many times is a guy going to put a swing like that on a baseball? And, and not be rewarded, um, you, you know, and he's just done it a lot in the spring and, and this season. And so he's saving up for a, a bountiful harvest. He's, he's going to sow the, the um, seeds that he's planting here at some point. I can promise you that. The game's not that cruel. Hang on. <laughs> Hang Alex's the hell face. on. A bountiful harvest? Let's make it more salsa, man. It's the cool. trajectory of some of these hits? I took he's making more salsa out Guys, of Guys, I, I don't know about you, but I see a big goose egg next to hits this season. 0 for 12. He does have three walks. An oh. intentional walk. A hit by a pitch. Look at that. He's getting on base. He has a, he's been on base as many times as he's struck out so far this year. Guys, Positive. not by hits, but... Guys, I I don't get it. Spin race, spin race. I don't I don't get it. Look, I, I love Matt Carpenter, great Cardinal, Cardinal Hall of Famer. How how are how are we to this? Well, I know how we're at this point because the the outfielders look worse than Matt Carpenter does at the plate. But you cannot sit here and tell me that he looks great 
and he deserves more at-bats. I can. Don't you want you... me to continue doing so? Yeah, I, I tried it on Friday. Please try and defend this for me. Matt Carpenter's current rankings among Cardinals hitters that have at least two batted balls. So I'm going to take Mundo Sosa out of this because he leads the Cardinals in like all batted ball categories. He has one batted ball so far this year. So other than Edmundo Sosa, Matt Carpenter is first among all Cardinals hitters in barrel rate. He is first in hard hit rate. He is second in average exit velocity behind only Paul Goldschmidt. He is first in that nerdy advanced expectant slugging percentage. He should, based on the quality of the batted balls that he has, be slugging around 700 this season, which would be among the best in all of baseball. Matt Carpenter is hitting the ball really, really hard. In fact, this is the hardest he's been hitting the ball since going back to when he was a really, really productive major leaguer. He should continue getting uh, every, maybe not every day, but regular at bats as long as this continues to be the case. Now, if this stuff falls off and he stops hitting the ball hard and you don't have the production, if the on-field numbers, the traditional stats, start matching up with the barrel rates and all of this other stuff, that's when I'll say, okay, it's not working. Put him off to the side. Try other guys. But right now, while he's hitting the ball hard and nobody else in the outfield is giving you production either, Matt Carpenter should continue getting regular at-bats for the Cardinals. So we're giving out participation trophies this year then. No. Barrel rate, exit velocity, mm-hmm. none of this results in runs, in my opinion. It will eventually. If no. this sustains, if this continues, it will, absolutely. This is not 2016, where the advanced stats are leaning us to believe he's going to start it getting absolutely ball. absolutely is. It uh, is the exact no. same numbers that when they went to him, I think it was 2018, if I'm not mistaken, when they went to him that spring, when he was struggling in terms of the traditional numbers, it was the exact same things that we're giving them indicators that this is going to turn around. I normally I would you guys know, I would be honest with you if I disagreed with what Mike Schilt was saying and I told you that he was just blowing smoke. He's not there. He's actually 100% right. This is real. Matt Carpenter has been not better so far than the numbers would indicate. I know it's hard to believe because he stunk for 2 years. He's been really good at the plate so far this season, though. It only took BK the weekend to jump on board the Carpenter band. I know. Maybe you. Do you want to go double or nothing with me on T-Bone's money? See if he has a good... uh... I mean, listen, like this stuff could change, right? He might stop hitting the ball hard. And we've seen when he gets regular at bats, sometimes he goes into a slump later on because he gets tired and his body breaks down. That's in play. But so far, based on the only evidence that we have, which is there... He's, he has been better so far this season than Justin Williams. He has been better so far this season than Tyler O'Neill. He has been better so far this season than what we've seen in a very brief instance from Lane Thomas. He's, he's been a better option than any of those See, guys. I would disagree with all of those because those other guys have hits, and Matt Carpenter does not. He can take it to the warning track every time, he, every time he's at the plate, but that's not resulting in offense. And for me, he's the same player that he's been in the last couple of seasons. He's pulling the ball. He's trying to take it deep. And if he's not doing that, he's striking out. And for me, I just, I, it can look great all we want. And he can hit the ball hard all we want. But if he's not getting on base, it's not benefiting the Cardinals. So, I, I, like, again, I love it. I, I think Matt Carpenter has been an incredible Cardinal. And, yeah, you know what? If it's a plate appearance, a game off of the bench, if he's my go-to pinch hitter, then that's awesome. But do not. Do not come to me and say, because he is hitting the ball so hard, we're putting Tommy Edmond in a corner outfield spot and Matt Carpenter at second base. 
because that's ridiculous. Tommy Edmond has been a gold glove player already this season at second base. To put him in the outfield because you want to get Matt Carpenter, who is 0 for 12 right now with a lot of hard hit balls, is ridiculous. See, I, I understand where you're coming from with he doesn't have any hits. Once he, With no hits, there's no sign of the production. I get that. But at this point, with a guy that has struggled the last two years, and you're seeing the positive signs in the advanced numbers, I think you can hold off on just a little bit longer until we start saying, okay, he has no hits. I think by the time we get done with this month, that's when you say, okay, he's only got three hits and whatever plate appearances. That's when I think you can start looking at those numbers. But for right now, I think you kind of have to look at those nerdy numbers but, and look at his exit velocity barrel percentage. But for me, this is like failing a test in class and then like, well, hey, I studied pretty hard. No, it's different. So this is... I'm trying to think of the best way to go about it. Uh, it. It's really hard to talk about in relation to other sports. You know what it would be like, Alex? Here's a good one for you. You remember when the Blues weren't getting the results, but the performance started looking a lot better, and you're like, they're close. I can feel it. It's 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 right around the corner. And then remember what happened next? They started winning games. That's this Matt Carpenter thing. The the process, the the way they're playing started looking a lot better for the Blues. They started preventing shots the same way that they had been. The quality of their shots improved a lot. It just wasn't going in the back of the net, but they were playing really, really well. And so it made you a believer that the Blues were going to turn things around. That is what the comp is for what Matt Carpenter is doing right now. Everything's there for success, except for in the Blues case, the puck going in the back of the net. And in Matt Carpenter's case, the ball dropping where the defenders are not. Yeah, that's that's what's happening. Don't. That does that's not really resolve. Really no. Here's the other thing. No. I would agree with everything you said about Matt Carpenter if the guys in the outfield that were getting the opportunities were hitting. If those guys were producing, you don't take them out of the lineup for the guy that's showing underlying metrics. You don't do that. But those guys aren't hitting. And so if they're not producing and they don't have underlying numbers to suggest that they're going to, and Matt Carpenter does, well, that's my tiebreaker. And I know you get worse defensively with uh, Tommy Edmond going to the outfield. I'm with you there. And I hate that this is the way that they have to go about it. But until they get somebody from the outfield that starts producing, I think this is their best option, especially against right-handed pitching. I I just don't, I don't get it. I don't get it. And I, I understand the comp there, but the difference for me in that comp is the team played better. There's no team helping Matt Carpenter in the at-bats. It's just him. And they're not resulting in anything. And I'll ask you the same question that I asked you guys about Austin Dean. Is Matt Carpenter going to be here? Is he a future player for this team? Nope. But his legacy is. <laughs> We want to talk about, we always talk about he's a legacy player. That's why we can't cut him. No, that's why he's a part of this team. That's why he's a part of this team. And you know what? That legacy is the reason that he can get a pinch hit every night. I'm fine with that. You know why I love sports? Because these two texts came in literally seconds apart from the 636. BK is spot on in this segment, and I do not say that often. Literally seconds later from the 314. BK, you're an idiot who is drinking the Kool-Aid. It's from the same number. Number two, sir or madam, you're, you must be drinking something else. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kiley. Let's dive into the junk drawer next. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up here in just about five minutes or so, 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. 
Who has been the most pleasant surprise for the Cardinals this season? There's a lot of negativity surrounding the BK, Cardinals. BK, I know so who far. he's going with. Matt Carpenter, man, baby. who's hitting the ball hard. Who has been the most <laughs> pleasant surprise so far? Because it's frankly kind of difficult to come up with a whole lot of options. We'll get into that in about five minutes. But, Alex, let's dive into the junk drawer. What do you got for us, my man? All right, boys. Um, I have another competition, I guess, if you'd like to call it. Or, or I guess Do I get to make money off of it? Uh, you probably. Basically, you're going to become famous for this. Oh, okay. Uh, how good are your dance moves? Oh, not, not. Alex, is that a serious question? How good are your dance moves, T-Bone? I can do the sprinkler. <laughs> that was the that was the oldest if man thing to say ever. If you had asked me prior to you talking to him about which dance move, hey BK, which dance move do you think Tanner will say he can do you if I ask him? The Macarena. I would have gone with the sprinkler. I would have gone with the electric slide, <laughs> or maybe the waltz. You kind of look like a guy who knows how to waltz. I know. Well, here's a, here's an opportunity for both of you guys. Oh, and hey, dance experience is not required. You can audition to be a part of the new television show coming, The Real Magic Mike. Oh, I could do that. Yeah, I'd be good at that. Everyone, we all know. Dancing them. is different than exotic dancing. Is it, though? Yeah. Both both of you have to have some type of rhythm. No, I'd be good. You can't I, just I gyrate a, your I, hips in front I, of I people. Definitely can. I was I in a band. So. I played in band. I got rhythm. <laughs> this guy just compared himself to exotic dancing from playing in band. Magic Mike, we all know so the how television. Do I get involved? Well, it's a HBO Max is what it's going on to. It's called a franchise and live show, exhilarating and sexy series that will transform a group of men into real life magic mics. Guys, I think this is for me. I honestly, I would like all three of us to apply and <laughs> for this and just see who's the last man standing. So here's the thing. I would need like Give me about three months to get in better shape. Uh, I'm, give I'm me like four. <laughs> you eat hot dogs on a daily basis. You might need four years to get in you better shape. Specific, he's talking about Tanner. Uh, just no, to well, clarify here. I might be talking about both of you. I do not eat hot dogs on a daily basis. You know better than that. This says fill out the application or nominate someone amazing. Don't really think either of you I would like to would. nominate Jamie Rivers. I feel like Jamie could win this competition. <laughs> Jamie, Jamie would be... Uh, Jamie would be the the, the runner-up in this one, in my Here's opinion. Here's the question. Who's most likely out of the on-air staff here at 101 to win this competition other than Jamie Rivers? Air Comfort Service, six lines, five, seven, eight, oh. Are likely to win this competition, Air Talent. I would say my, if we're, if we're eliminating Jamie because he's the obvious number one contender, right? We can all agree with this. <laughs> Sorry, the text line 65780-314 said Tanner's a chicken dance guy. That's and there's nothing more yeah, 100% go. on than that. That or the bunny hop. That's what Tanner <laughs> does in his free time. I think if we were power ranking things here, I would go Jamie 1, BT 2, Dark Horse Contender, Meat, Anthony Stalter 3. Oh. I think I'm putting myself four. Wow. wow. That is disrespectful Selfish. to me. Yeah. I'm going to go. I got deemed the athlete of the three of us. Shouldn't this I said, be ahead? This said, Alex, women love homeless men beards. <laughs> I don't think that's true. I saw my wife's face when I shaved it off, and, and she was a lot happier. I think I would go Barnes after me. And then wow. the question is between you two. 
That's, that's that is hurtful. disrespectful. That is disrespectful. First, first, BK ignores me being on the Carpenter bandwagon last week, and then he jumps on Sharon over the weekend. saying BK would when he's lean enough. Sharon, I'm lean enough. See? Don't believe that's Chris Kerber about. when he calls me man boobs on the air. <laughs> I'm not man boobs. <laughs> this is what the years of running has got me, Alex. As Randy would say, Jamie Rivers, yes. Alex, yes. BK, no. <laughs> Thank you. Because I believe I should be top three in this conversation. Really? I believe I should be top three. Who would you put above you? Rivers, obviously. Oh, yeah, that's why. Uh, I'd put Stalter above me. I've seen that. Really? I've seen that hip motion during. The gyrating oh, is impressive. Man. That have, man's hula hoop moves are awesome. When have you seen his hip motion? Oh, I'm, I'm in here 24-7. And I walk by and I just see a bunch of guys just gyrating in the studio. Interesting. Yeah. Huh. I was unaware that that's how the afternoon show. T-Bone's got goes that soul. Don't sleep on him. I disagree yeah, with that. Thank T-bo- you. T-bone, thank you. Six one eight. T-Bone legitimately just told us that he does the sprinkler. So now no. Kind of had some good movement there. I put that consistent. I put meat as my dark horse. I, I think, think that's a good my dark horse. One. I actually yeah. think that's a really meat good one. Meat is my X factor where it's like, okay. Like if FanDuel were to put some odds on this, I'd be like my risk free. Barnes would be the one that you do use your, your risk free bet on. I, you and I have just lost a little friendship points there because of wow. you not putting you putting me at the bottom with Tanner. <laughs> with Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up next. Who has been the most pleasant surprise for the Cardinals this season? No, Alex, the answer is not Matt Carpenter. You can't use him. We'll get a better answer from you coming up next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. And Molina hits it out to deep left. At the wall. Gone. Yanni strikes in the seventh. Two nothing Cardinals. Molina's first of 2021. And what a time to get it. So I was reading on MLB.com earlier today about the Cardinals' most pleasant surprises. And they did it for all across baseball. But specifically, I was interested in who they had for the Cardinals. And the guy that you just heard there in that return was their answer. It was Yadier Molina, and of course it has been. He's batting 367 on the year, and he has a 962 OPS. Yesterday, Alex, the Cardinals went with him as their cleanup hitter, and it was the right decision, which is wild to be able to say in 2021. But I think if I was making an answer, if I was coming up with a player that's been my most pleasant surprise for the Cardinals so far, it would be Yadi. That would be my answer. Who would you guys go with for that? 65780 is the air comfort service text line. Alex, who would be your most pleasant surprise so far this year for the Cardinals? Yachty's a good choice, too, because not just offensively, but, you know, he's almost killed two guys this season. You know, almost took Oviedo's head off and honestly almost took Castellanos' head off earlier in the season. Um, You know, I think mine would be Tommy Edmond because... I didn't expect him to be that good defensively. I knew he was going to be good. I mean, I put the guy in gold glove consideration, but I thought he would be the weakest link out of that infield for how good everyone else is. But honestly, Tommy Edmond has made some plays that he should not have been able to make. Offensively, he's still getting on a nice nice on-base clip, and that's as a leadoff guy where we all know that's a lot of pressure, especially with Arenado and Goldschmidt hitting behind you. Um, so I would put Tommy Edmond and my dark horse would probably be, be Giovanni Gallegos. I think that's a good one because Gallegos, even though we know what he's been, he looks even better this year. 
But I agree. I think the top two for me would be Yachty and then Edmund. And then my dark horse would be Austin Dean. He's got a small sample size, but he's actually hitting the ball pretty well. He doesn't look great defensively, and he doesn't run the base as well. But we just need an outfielder that hits. So I think Austin Dean might be someone that could sneak onto my list if he continues and if he gets to start these next three games against the Nationals. Surprise Carpenter's not on your list then, too. Well, he's got to get some hits that fall first. Um, I think the problem for the Cardinals this year, and we talked about it in the open. We talked about it a lot in the 11 o'clock hour. If you missed any of our show today, podcast page 101ESPN.com, the free 101 ESPN app, all presented by I Promise. The problem for the Cardinals is that they haven't had more pleasant surprises. Yeah. Because they needed some things to come up with positive indicators for this season to go the way that we all hoped that it would be. If we were talking today in this segment about John Gant or Daniel Ponce de Leon or Paul DeYoung starting out on fire or Austin Dean really having a more pleasant surprise so far, Justin Williams, any of these guys, the outfielders or shortstop, basically, if we were talking about them... Well, then the Cardinals record would be much better than what it's been so far this season. But because we are not, because we're talking about guys that we already expected to be pretty solid performers, I didn't expect this from Yachty, but I thought he was going to be a pretty good player for them. I didn't expect this out of Giovanni Gallegos, but we all said he's going to have a really good year for the Cardinals. I might not have expected this defensively from Tommy Edmond. I thought he was going to be a pretty solid player, though. The guys that are the swing players that we talked about all spring, we talked about all winter. Those are the ones that have not been pleasant surprises. In fact, they've gone the opposite direction. They've been unpleasant surprises where things have gone really far south really quickly for them. That's been the problem early on this season. Yeah, it definitely has. You know, while you were talking, another one popped into my mind, and I saw a lot of people on the text line talking about it too. Jordan Hicks. Sure. And especially coming off of Tommy John, where I think we all were a little worried of what he was going to do this season. I mean, dude's been throwing heat. Non-stop, you know? And I think it benefited him taking last season off to let that Tommy John recover a little bit more on top of not wanting to put himself in a tough situation with COVID at a foot. Um, but uh, Jordan Hicks is another good one, I think. But back to your point with with the offense, you need more Yachty's. If you, if you don't have any more Yachty's between all of these outfielders and between some of these guys who are going to be coming back from the injured list, we could be talking about a team that's going for a wild card if not missing the postseason because... As good as as much as the Reds we feel like might just be a flash in the pan, this offense is pretty damn good, and we just saw what Milwaukee's pitching staff can do. So this will be a tough challenge if the Cardinals don't have more than three hitters. I'm with you, but I, I think it's going to come down to their pitching if it's going to be if you're going to miss the playoffs or not. I, I think you're just going to have to live with this offense. I, I think heading into the year, the Cardinals knew they probably were only going to have three really great offensive players. It was going to be Goldie, Arnato, and then there was going to be the swing guys in Carlson or DeYoung. Well, I guess there could be four then, but I think they really expect their pitching to be the reason they get to the postseason, and they can rely on the bullpen, but the bullpen will more than likely not be this great if it continues to be taxed as it has been. Would you guys consider Oviedo a pleasant surprise, even though he had one outing? Yes, he was a pleasant surprise yesterday. We just need to see more. And this is kind of the issue, right? Is it's so early, especially for the starters, that you don't have enough of a of a sample size to be able to go off of it. But I think you could consider I wouldn't say that anybody's wrong if they went that route, because I think that he's probably going to get more opportunities because of how well he pitched yesterday. And the other thing with Oviedo, too, is we kind of knew what stuff he has. Now, I don't I'm not saying we knew he could go five innings of scoreless baseball, but we knew that he was going to be competitive last season for a rotation spot. And 
So, yeah, I would consider that, but I think there's been a couple more surprises before I would get to, uh, to Oviedo. Can I give you guys another one that has... Maybe it's unfair that it's been a surprise to me. The way he laughed makes me think it's, it's based on the nerdy numbers. Yeah. No. Oh. Nolan Arenado. It's the opposite of the nerdy numbers, in fact. The nerdy numbers don't like him as much as the, uh, the traditional ones do. Oh. But he has a hit in every single game so far this season. A nine-game hitting streak, the longest so far in, in baseball, the longest to start a Cardinals career literally ever in the history of the franchise. He has 11 hits in his first eight games. That was the most to start a Cardinals career since Jeremy Hazelbaker Hazel took Raker. the lead by storm. He has been everything that I hoped he was going to be and then some. The guy does not really strike out. He gets on base at a really high clip. He puts everything in play. He plays fantastic defense. He's an uber competitor. I mean, everything I could have asked for, he has shown thus far as a Cardinal. And it's the way that he consistently finds a way to put the ball in play, I think, is the thing that has really impressed me the most because we know about the power. It's his consistent professional at bat every single time that makes me just go like, wow. I, I can't believe this guy is a Cardinal and that he's lived up to every expectation that I had for him coming into the season. Honestly, if it wasn't for Nolan Arenado, I don't know if this team has a win on the season. They probably have one or two at a minimum. Man, I, I just, because he has been kind of the the middle piece of everything. Because They definitely don't win opening day. Goldschmidt, Goldschmidt's offense has come from because you have Nolan Arenado hitting behind him. And as Paul DeYoung's been hitting, we're learning that he batting behind Paul Goldschmidt, I think we're talking about a different team. I, I really feel like Nolan Arenado, it would be tough to sit here and say that this team has at least one victory on the season. Have you guys been surprised by it? No. By, by, by his level of success? I mean, getting a hit in every game to start your career is wild. I have a little bit, yeah. Because normally you're looking at... 330 him would be 300 hitters so you're talking three for 10 in like a week span so but there'd be room for struggles and he didn't look great in spring training honestly i mean he he struggled to right hit the up ball. until the end when he finally bomb. told who was it one of the coaching staff that yeah. he was going to go hit a home run he did boom end of spring training and ready I, to go. I, I didn't want to like look at his numbers go oh my gosh arnado's gonna be terrible but i think when i looked at his numbers it was the worst Average on-base slugging and OPS he'd had in his career in spring training. And part of that was because he went to Florida, and that place is not a hitter-friendly place. But, yeah, I think looking at him, I would have said, yeah, he'll have a good start. Not a great start like that. So, yeah, I would agree with you. I think Arnado has been a pleasant surprise, but that feels weird. I'm saying. really surprised because he's not supposed to be able to hit outside of Coors Field. <laughs> yeah, that <laughs> whole thing. That was the book, right? right? He's got, I can't hit. From the three-one-four Guys, Nolan Arnado has made me enjoy watching baseball again. If you're a Cardinals fan... And you've been sticking through this te- through this with thick and thin for the last five years or so. Nolan Arenado is your reward for getting to the other side of that because God, that guy is fun to watch. He is absolutely outstanding. Six five seven eight zero is the Air Comfort Service text line. Coming up next, let's play a game of in or out. If you've got something that you want to throw in at us, six five seven eight zero is the Air Comfort Service text line. In or out. Coming up next. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. Let's play a game of in or out. 65780 is the air comfort service text line to get involved. Alex, let's start with this one. In or out, Matt Carpenter should start at second base with Tommy Edmond in right. 
and Austin Dean in left against the Nationals in this series. Did you come to me because you want me to start yelling again? Please. I'm out. From the 618, missing element with Matt Carpenter has been hit location. No matter how hard you hit the ball, if you hit it in the exact same place every time, defense is going to adjust, and that's what they've done with him. Unless he's hitting bombs, he's not getting hits. And at least Austin Dean can get on base. At least Justin Williams can have a hard hit rate and get on base with it. So, no, I'm out on this because I'm, frankly, I've, I've seen enough with Tommy Edmond. I'm not moving him out of my second base position because he is my second baseman. And Lane Thomas... Dylan Carlson and Justin Williams or Austin Dean. That's my outfield. So I'm out on that. So we're supposed to be putting Williams in right field on this one, correct? No, Those would be Austin, Austin Dean. Dean in left and Tommy Edmond in right. So oh, Carpenter yeah. at second and then you move Edmond to right, Austin Dean in left. Yes, I'm in. I, I think that's what they'll do for this Did series. Did you hear how excited he was about it? What is oh, wrong with gosh, you two? That, that barrel rate? Yeah. Come on. Carpenter's going to have a dinger this this uh, series. He's going to have... You want to put, put money on it? Yeah. Because you lost $10 over the weekend. I didn't lose In his money, big but... at-bat scenario, didn't because, get the hit. That's because Goldie thought his back was okay. Unless unless you consider a hard-hit ball to the warning track a, a big moment, then you get your money. It was building momentum for the big moment that's <laughs> coming this week. <laughs> I'm in on this. Go ahead and start him. Start him, Tommy Edmond, Austin Dean. Let's see what they've got. I don't need to see Lane Thomas out there right now. I, I well, just, you'll get to see him next year then. I think we're going to see him tonight, but <laughs> I don't need to see that. Dylan Carlson's your best center fielder right now. So Ooh. let's go ahead and throw Dylan Carlson in center. Let's get Austin Dean opportunities in left. That's the only place he can play defensively. And Tommy Edmond, I hate that you're moving him away from second base defensively because he's been so good. But if my option is Matt Carpenter or Justin Williams slash Lane Thomas, I'd rather have Carpenter over Thomas and Williams right now, especially with a lefty in the lineup going up against the Nationals right-handed starters that we're going to see. I get it. I don't like it. I get it. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service X line for in or out. Guys, in or out, Johan Oviedo and KK should replace Ponce and Carlos in the Cardinals rotation. Oviedo and KK should replace Ponce and Carlos in the Cardinals rotation. So Gant in, Oviedo in, KK in. Ponce and Carlos out. I'm out. Could go back to in after tonight's performance. So I will ride the fence like BK always does. But for right now, I'm out. Sorry, (laughs) that reaction got to me. That was aggressive. (laughs) I'm out on this because... I'm going off of the Carlos first start compared to this last start. And even this last start, he still gave his team a chance to win, which Ponce unfortunately did not. Um, If Gant goes out there and performs today, gets a lot of ground balls and can give them five innings easily, then I would say I'm in. But for now, I'm out. Yeah, I'm out too. I Like I said earlier, I'm kind of in between on what Carlos is going to be right now. I think he's going to be a mix of what his first start was and then kind of what his second start was. He got lucky only giving up one in the first. I I don't think the only person I see being replaced is Ponce. I, I think they like Gant kind of in the rotation for now. And Oviedo just got called up, and it's hard to read into what he did in just his one outing. I think Oviedo would have to do that for another two or three outings before they would consider him a starter. Yeah, I think if you're looking at this, it's probably going to be. I think the most likely outcome is they're going to a six-man rotation. I was just going to say I'd probably go back on this and say in because I think Oviedo is going to be your sixth man. Ew. I think that's what's coming up. Ugh. Matt Mike Schiltz. 
If you guys have been able to um, catch on, there's something that he's doing lately where he's saying, I'm not going to rule that out. Sounds like he's gardening with carpet, the last <laughs> I heard. Well, he's going to sow his what he reaps or reap what he sows. I don't know. Metaphors, words that matter a little bit, but it's Whatever, okay. I do the fine. same thing. The same um, thing. It doesn't matter. He's not going to hit. If you heard what Matt, uh, Mike Schilt did yesterday, he basically said, hey, listen, I'm not ruling out the fact that we're probably going to go to a six-man rotation at some point. I think that's what's going to end up happening. They're going to go with five days of rest for their starters. So Oviedo and KK will be in. Ponce will be the only one that comes out of the rotation. Carlos will continue getting starts. I get it if you're a Cardinals fan and you're frustrated right now with Carlos Martinez. I would also tell you that I think the Cardinals are pretty committed at this point to him being in the rotation. He was the number three starter. It was Gant and Ponce behind him. So he's going to be the last one that gets pulled out of that rotation, in my opinion, unless John Gant just looks excellent tonight. So I'll go ahead and say out, but it's because of what the Cardinals will do more so maybe than what I would want to see them do. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. All right, guys, in or out, the Blues are not only going to make the playoffs, they will finish third in the West Division. Ooh, that's an interesting one. Um, I'm going to say in on this because, yeah, you uh, look, Minnesota's played great all season, but Minnesota has been struggling as There's of late seven games up on or seven points rather up on you right and now. I do have Inch. a game in hand, but here's the thing. You play them five more times. So that game in hand on top of the blues. And again, this is with the caveat of the blues winning out. But Minnesota has to play Vegas a couple of more times. Minnesota's got to play Colorado at least one more time, I believe. That opens up the door, man. The Blues, they're playing a style right now that they could legitimately win all but three, four games the rest of the season. So I'm going to say in because I I do believe that they could catch Minnesota, especially for how many games they play them over the next couple of weeks. The Blues might get into Minnesota's head. Yeah, I'm in too. I, I think they are a better team than the Minnesota Wild. You guys are all in after three games. I love it so much. I love it. I'm in because I think they are a better team than Minnesota. And that that goes back to the first time they played them. I just thought that from what we saw, I and like you said, Alex, they play them a lot, and that's gonna be the difference maker. I could honestly see St. Louis going six and two against Minnesota this season. I wonder if the Blues can get into Minnesota's head like the Coyotes got into the Blues head. Because if so that's a good point. You could I mean it's it's not so much about outplaying the competition more than it is kind of a head game in their own selves. And Minnesota has been red hot all season, but this is the first time in a while that they've gone on a little bit of a skid. The blues might be able to get into their head moving forward. Man, God bless you guys. Um, I, I'm being serious when I say that, by the way, I, I'm really happy to see that you're, you're in on this team now. Um, you have been, but it's more so even right now, I'm going to say out. I think that they're probably going to make the playoffs. Now I I'm wrong on that argument. Once again, I do think that they will get in. I think it will be as the fourth seed. I think that you will see them play Colorado in the first round. I think that's what we're heading towards, but I would love to see it. If they end up, I will say this. If they end up finding a way to get to that third seed, they will have been playing so well going into the playoffs that don't count them out completely against Vegas. Vegas is a better team than the blues. I readily admit that, but if you guys are right, and they dominate Minnesota, and this will also require them to play pretty well down the stretch against Colorado. If they are able to do that, that would show me that they have enough in the tank to potentially be able to pull off what would be a significant upset against the Vegas Golden well, Knights. Well, and again, remember, the Blues always, not not this season, but when they're on their game, they always seem to play their best against teams that are on paper better than them. 
On top of it, the Blues have the hardest schedule for the rest of the season in the Honda West Division. And if the Blues find a way to run the table or win, that's going to be a confidence booster that I don't think you want to deal with. It all comes down, in my opinion, to Jordan Bennington, because I think you ride Jordan Bennington as much as possible for the rest of the season other than back-to-backs. And if he plays the way that he has played against Vegas and Minnesota, we could be talking about a team that gets third place and makes a run to that cup. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service X line for in or out. Last one for you guys, in or out. Tommy Edmond during this series should get an opportunity to start at shortstop to give Paul DeYoung a day off. That somebody had texted that when we were talking earlier, and that's interesting because you're keeping Edmund in the infield. I still don't like taking him out of second base because he's your second baseman of the future. But I mean, Paul DeYoung, as much as I give Carpenter slack, Carpenter's making contact. Paul DeYoung's a he's taking a lot of whiffs. Yeah. So part of me wonders if you give him a day off or two in this next series just so you can try and get him to work a little bit more in the cages and get his head right because you need him. I'm out because I think you keep Edmund at second or he's in the outfield. I think you put Sosa at shortstop. And I say that too because I want to see my boy Rondon on the team. So let's, let's if we have Soso here for a reason, let's use him. Let's use John Nagowski as well. Put him at shortstop. Eh. Don't do that. Eh. Um, I'm going to go ahead and say out on this as well. Just, I, I think the best way to get Paul DeYoung going is to continue giving him at-bats. I know it's hard to watch right now, especially Saturday. That was a rough one for him. And it was so rough that even Mike Schilt was like, yeah, we're going to have to go ahead and make a change here. But I think that you keep throwing him out there because he is a hugely important player for you. So I will continue going with Paul DeYoung at shortstop. Tommy Edmond, if he's going to move from second, It'll be to the outfield for me. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. Coming up next, the Cardinals got screwed by Major League Baseball's replay system over the weekend. They were not the only team that got screwed by it, not just over the weekend, but so far this year. We'll talk about it, what Major League Baseball needs to do, how this can get fixed next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. have made the ruling and the call will stand the run will score and the Braves are livid and the crowd is livid and Brian Snitker is livid he's coming out on the field he's going to get tossed so that's what it sounded like last night last night rather as the Phillies score the game winning run in the top of the ninth against the Atlanta Braves it was the wrong call If you looked at, if you watched that game and you can find the video on social media, anywhere that you want to, if you watched the video, it was very clear that the Phillies player never touched home base and the Braves should have, it should have been called out and you end the inning right there. You go to the bottom of the ninth tie ball game, six to six going into the bottom of the ninth with the Braves having an opportunity to go up there and either win the game or at least extend it. Right? Well, that's not the way they went. Major League Baseball not only ruled this incorrectly on the field, they also then went to the review and confirmed the call on the field. And that's what you just heard there via ESPN radio last night. Alex, this happens far too often in baseball. 
if you're going to have replay review, it has to get calls like this correct. Otherwise, there is no reason to have replay review because there are frustrations that are going to take place. I love watching base stealing, right? It's one of the most exciting plays in the sport. But everything is very close when it comes to stealing bases. And when you pop up off of the bag for a tenth of a second and you're called out for that, I hate it, especially when it's reviewed to the one uh, 100 frames per second, right? Like you, it is the most minuscule details that are shown on these replays. Well, if you're going to get that one right, the reason that I'm okay with it is because you also get this play in the Phillies versus the Braves game correct. The fact that they didn't means that this needs to go back to the drawing board. Otherwise, baseball's uh, they've got a real problem on their hands with the replay review system. If I'm the players and we're going into this upcoming offseason where the negotiations between the players and Major League Baseball there needs to be some hayway towards something. Otherwise, Rob Manfred really should be in jeopardy of his job because this is this is another reason why baseball will take a step the opposite direction because of things like this. BK, hockey, in my opinion, is one of the fastest sports out there. And if hockey can get a replay of an offsides call with a met with a with a rubber puck and a skate, then how the hell can we not look at that replay of, of dirt showing that that home plate was not touched? I mean, it's not just the replay system. It's the officiating as well. Like you're standing right there, but the backup is the replay. And if you can't take the time to sit there and look at that and say, look, this is obvious, regardless if one side's going to be pissed off or the other, then the game needs to be fixed. Then get rid of the replay. Don't have the option of the replay and leave it up to human error. But the fact that there are there there is technology and video that you can fix this all around the ballpark. There's cameras that could have shown that and you still get that wrong. Right there is the reason why Rob Manfred either needs to fix it or lose his job. See, I'm with you. Maybe not on that. The rest of us did. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, it's the, it's the game, though. He's in charge of the sure. game. And if you're not going to fix it, then what are we doing it, here it, as the commissioner? It definitely needs to be brought back up to the rules committee uh, of looking at this and trying to figure out how we're going to get replay fixed to its, get it to the best that we can with our capabilities. But I don't think this needs to be brought up in the CBA. There are much bigger issues for Major League Baseball and the Players Association to figure out in the next CBA. And we've seen how ugly those negotiations are. So instant replay, to me, should not be in the next CBA negotiation. If anything, then bump it back. But I agree. Replay has to be fixed. This guy was clearly out at the plate. He never touches home plate. And we've seen this multiple times, whether it's something that should be reviewable or something that is reviewable. We've seen the wrong call. I was mentioning you guys during the break. It didn't cost the Reds a game, but they were in Arizona this weekend. Home run ball that hits the wall and hits a chair that would be a home run, and they don't call it that. They call it a double. Mm -hmm. And it's clear that replay... showed that it was a home run and they got it wrong. You can't be getting you can't be getting it wrong. It's one thing if it's wrong on the field, but you can't get it wrong when you go back to instant replay. Someone said the hand pass game. The difference but the hand, between the hand pass game and that and what happened in baseball is the hand pass in the rule book it cannot be reversed. And that's another thing. Mike Schilt was asked over the weekend. They've got a situation where you've got Justin Williams at third. He's taken a lead and they called him out because he was hit by a ball that ended up going foul, but whatever. Um and Mike Schilt was asked after the game if he would like to see that reviewable. That ball is the home plate umpire's call until it get on the ground until it gets to third base. And that's a hard thing for an umpire to do, especially with a right-handed hitter who can block him out of making that call. 
and vice versa with a left-handed hitter, you know, at first base. So I, I've a, I, I do feel like that's a more of a reviewable play, but alas, it's not. It absolutely should be reviewable. Yep. In fact, basically every play in baseball should be allowed to be challenged by a manager. Now, it should need to be immediately. I don't need to see four minutes of the manager saying, hold on, hold on, we're trying to find out, hold on. No, if you're going to challenge, challenge it. And then when it goes to the challenge, let's get these reviews. If, if you cannot clearly and definitively say one way or the other what the play should have been called on the field, then the call on the field stands. That's the way this should work. Everything should be moving smoothly. It should be moving quickly. It should operate at the level that you expect it to as a fan. The problem is a lot of this stuff is not reviewable or challengeable for whatever reason. And then you get the wrong call when it is. And it takes too long to get the correct call. So you can fix this. There is a way to do it. But you've got to actually care about whether you're getting these right or not. And baseball right now does not seem to care about it. And I like the way that the NHL does it because you do give them a little bit of leeway. Like you can't have the initial reaction of that. Review it. Like you got to have. I think that's fine. I think it should be that way. But uh, but the way I agree. But the NHL does it where I I like it. They give them about five seconds, 10 seconds to get that line change out there. That gives the coaching staff to sit there and say, okay, review it, not review it. Dropping the puck. Good to go. Gives them a little bit of leeway, but it definitely should not be a five minute conversation of somebody on the phone trying to talk to somebody and deciding, like, play the game, make the call or move on. The thing that works well for the NHL is it's kind of natural, though, because you get the goal After score, goal they score, skate yep. by, you know, they're fist bumping their guys on the bench. And then, like you mentioned, they get the line change out there. It's natural. There's a natural time of you've got about 20 seconds to figure it out. Baseball, you don't really have that. What, or at least it's right now it's not that way. What it should be is the play occurs. For example, the Justin Williams one, we call him out. He goes to the thing, goes to the, uh, oh, I'm drawing a blank all of a sudden, dugout, and then you throw the ball back to the pitcher, and here we go. That's the amount, that's your natural amount of time you have yes. to react to challenge it, and they don't have that. Now, with the umpire thing there, I think it's ridiculous that the home, that's the home plate umpire's call until the third base line. It he's, doesn't make any sense. He's behind the catcher. And even if it's a lefty or right-handed batter, it is hard to tell if a ball is fair or foul in this scenario. And either way, if you're not on the line like the third base umpire is, what the umpire has to do is he has to basically step around, get equal with the line, which he can't do in the amount of time that there is. So I would say that there is no way for the home plate umpire to make that call. So in my opinion, you have to have the third base umpire call everything in front of them. The home plate umpire should call plays at the plate and balls and strikes. It's unacceptable that I can tell at home whether or not that should have been ruled one way or the other. In Major League Baseball, their umpires or their review crew cannot. That is unacceptable. I should not have a better view at home than they do when yeah. they are the ones that are actually making the decisions that affect the wins and losses of these games. Baseball has to do a better job with it. They have to do a better job with it. And they can. Hopefully they will because they are getting crushed today and rightfully so. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. We've got an update on the status for the Blues game tonight. We'll get to that coming up next and we'll cross things over with the fast lane here on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Time now for the crossover. Brought to you by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Close to home or close to work. For quality tires and expert auto service, you can always count on Dobbs.
Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kylie. So I mentioned that we've got an update on the Blues game for tonight. According to uh, reports coming out of Minnesota, the city of St. Paul is expected to issue a 7 o'clock curfew tonight. Uh, the skyways are expected to be closed. Um, that likely, according to these reports, means that the postponement of the Minnesota Wild versus St. Louis Blues game. Again, no confirmation on that, but it sounds like, based on all of these reports, it is likely that the Blues game will be postponed tonight. If it is played, it will be right here on your home for the Blues 101 ESPN with pregame coming up at 6 o'clock, but the likelihood is that it will not be played tonight. Crossing things over with Anthony Stalter in the fast lane. Stalter, what's going on, man? Not much. Just trying to keep you know up on NHL trade deadline news and Cardinals not playing well. And now this, and I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I, I'm with you. I don't think that the Blues are going to play tonight, but we'll just have to wait and see what the official word is. Twins and Red Sox has already been postponed. They were set to play like 110, one, yep. 105 or 110 or something like that. And uh, I can't imagine. I mean, the, the Minnesota Timberwolves are also playing or back to the play, play scheduled to play tonight at home. I imagine we're going to see all of these Minnesota teams postpone their games tonight. It certainly seems that way. That that That's my expectation at this point as well. We are, as of now, nine minutes away from the official NHL trade deadline. I have seen zero buzz today about the Blues. Absolutely nothing. And Craig Berube came out and he said his expectation, barring something changing, is that he's going to have his same roster tonight that he had on Saturday night. Is that kind of where you're at at this point as well? Yeah, it reminds me a little bit of the trade deadline a couple of years ago when we thought, well, could they be sellers? Could they be acquiring something? Why would they acquire some? And then I think they wound up maybe with, with Jacob De La Rose. That might have been the, the trade deadline move a couple of years ago. So it kind of has that feel to it. But no, to answer your question directly, BK, I don't think that the Blues are going to make make a move. Jamie's been talking about it at, at great length. If they were to make a move, likely a depth defenseman. But at this point, it, it doesn't look like anybody's going to get moved for the Blues. Yeah, I I thought they would do something. And I think what changed the trajectory of everything is the fact that Robert Thomas got hurt. When he got hurt, it opened up that spot in the lineup for Mike Hoffman. And when he looked good on Saturday, he ends up with the two goals in that game. I think that might have changed their line of thinking. That's pure speculation on my behalf, but... I would guess Armstrong, based on the fact that he had been a healthy scratch the last two games, was looking for a landing spot for Mike Hoffman, maybe even had found a couple of teams that were interested in him, decided he would go to the highest bidder, and then your plans are crushed by the fact that Robert Thomas once again is out of the lineup. Now Mike Hoffman is going to be counted upon down the stretch, looks good, and so Monday comes and he is back in the lineup once again tonight if they're going to be playing yeah it would have been a savvy move to trade Mike Hoffman if if Robert Thomas I agree if, if Robert Thomas doesn't get hurt you you signed Mike Hoffman at essentially a discount based on what his market value could have been had it not been you know a pandemic and had he not been on the open market for so long so you you could have signed a rental for a year you don't really lose anything I know he had the two goals over the weekend I know that he's a goal scorer but you know, I, I don't. I don't think Mike Hoffman's the the difference between the Blues making a, a deep run or not in the postseason. So if you could have flipped him for for something, got some assets for him, boy, that that would have been a savvy trade for Doug Armstrong. But like you said, now that Robert Thomas is hurt, 
it, it opens up a natural spot, and then he has the big game on Saturday. Stoltz, want to make sure that you guys get into your show on time today, so that way you can react at the top to whatever does or doesn't happen with the Blues at the trade deadline. What all can fans expect uh, to hear from you guys today from 2 to 6? We're actually going to carry Doug Armstrong's press conference. It's scheduled for 210. Okay. So we're going to carry that. If it goes off live and we're good from a timing standpoint, you can hear what Doug Armstrong has to say on the on the trade deadline. Either any moves that are coming or not coming for the Blues. And I would imagine he would have an update on tonight's game, but at this point, you know, maybe not because all the information isn't isn't there. But So we are going to air the press conference for Doug Armstrong. We're going to talk to Jeremy Rutherford about the Blues deadline. So a lot of Blues coming your way. Jamie's got a lot of thoughts on it. No BT today. BT's got the day off. Uh, but we'll dive into some Cardinals stuff as well. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. If you missed anything from today's show, you can check it all out. 101ESPN.com, the free 101 ESPN app. We had former Reds manager Jim Riggleman join the show. That's up coming up shortly on the podcast page. Tomorrow, we'll have Jeremy Rutherford to talk about the Blues deadline decisions. And Jim Hickey, the Nationals uh, pitching coach, will join the show as well. That's all coming up tomorrow. The Fast Lane's coming up next. Mm. You've been listening to the BK and Ferrari. Rario Podcast, powered by I Promise.